about gas. I don't need gas. What do you want? <laughs> What's so funny? That's what the other guy said. <laughs> Who's the other guy? The guy who was driving that car back there. The guy who picked me up before you did. Was that him in the car? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Could have walked very far. Why is that? Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. This episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Check out the podcast Under the Stairs and many other shows over at legionpodcast.com. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 77. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Episode 77 takes a look at two movies from my youth that I absolutely fucking love. And yes, that might be spoiling the grades for this uh, episode, but I, I need to wear my heart on my sleeve, so to speak. Um, we will be looking at Near Dark from 1987 and The Hitcher from 1986. Joining me on this show later Later on is my good buddy and former colleague over at the Doing the Nasty podcast, Mr. Andy Blockley. How you guys doing out there? I hope you're doing well. I hope everything is going peachy. I hope you had a fantastic Valentine's Day and you did not sit in your underwear home alone eating large spoonfuls of Ben and Jerry's with sprinkles on top. Unless that's what you want to do, and then I hope you rock the shit out of that. Actually, sounds pretty damn good now that I'm thinking about it myself. Um, but yeah, I hope you guys are doing great out there. We have loads coming up over the next couple of weeks. I will be travelling out of the country um, in about three weeks' time, but my plan is to make sure that I don't leave no episodes for a week. So if everything goes according to plan, you will still get... Um, some more podcasts under the stairs when I'm away. I'm travelling to the States, going out to visit DC and then out to Vegas for my wife's 30th. So I'm really looking forward to catching some of that that, that American that American vibe. Uh, a lot of American listeners out there and I love that country so I can't wait to visit your capital. Um, and then and then the, the city of sin, uh, which sounds like it was maybe made for me. I'm just putting that out there. Um, so yeah, but the show should carry right through. Next week, um, we should be joined by our good buddy, The Baz, to do our very first Baz v Horror of 2016. And Baz will be taking on Creep. That's right, Creep from 2015, not the 2000s movie Creep which is a completely different movie altogether. So yeah, we'll be looking at the found footage movie Creep. My suggestion for him is something nice and easy to get him back in the swing, back in the groove. He was moaning about all this franchise nonsense. So, you know, 
I'll throw him a little curveball, get him warmed up, and then we'll hit him over the head with some fantastic viewing over the rest of 2016. So that'll be coming up next week. Um, also, hopefully you guys out there checked my debut episode on my uh, spin-off podcast, Chronicle. That first episode dropped to really good reviews, actually. A lot of podcast listeners have been coming back telling me that they really enjoy the short show format and um, they really thought it was quite informative. And that's the plan. Hopefully you, you dig it. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be easy listening. It's supposed to be short. And if it ticked all those boxes, then I'm a happy camper. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's loads of things coming up. We obviously have a poll, which will be finishing Friday the week this is released. That poll is concerning what franchise the Bass will take on next. Um, We have three choices. Halloween franchise, Hellraiser franchise, or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. As it currently stands, Halloween is, I think, two or three votes up. Um, A ton of voting already over there. Baz is trying to galvanise the forces of evil to vote for um, Halloween. I am trying to galvanise the forces of good to vote for Hellraiser and to be honest with you if I had it my way and I could veto everyone I would probably go with Texas Chainsaw Massacre just because there's less movies in that one (laughs) so uh, we'll see who wins out we'll announce that um, on Friday um, the winner and we will move forward with that one and hopefully hopefully get those shows started and out in April which will be a lot of fun, a lot of prep to go into that. We're also running a competition, we spoke about it last week um, and potentially the week before, but this competition is an Instagram competition. So if you are a listener of the podcast Under the Stairs and you have an Instagram account, you should add us. We're at TputzCast. And if you post a picture, a poster of the horror movie you want me and Baz to discuss the same way we did with the Loved Ones episode, all you need to do is post it on your feed and tag us in the photo. Remember and tag us in the photo. Um, What we'll do is at the end of February, we will sit down, look at all those suggestions, put them in a hat, pull the winner out and at that point, that winner will win a horror block full of three t-shirts and tons of collectibles. So plenty of um, plenty of goodies for you. To do something fairly easy, it takes a couple of minutes to do. So remember, you have to be on Instagram, you have to friend our Instagram account, which is at TeaputsCast. You need to post a poster of a horror movie you want us to discuss and make sure you tag us in that post. Right, that's enough nonsense, enough talking at the start of this episode. We're going to drop out right now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love when I return. I'm going to be introducing my guest, Mr. Andy Blockley, right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.kruegernation.com. Not so evil episode sidecast. It was a long name, Batman. No one could ever remember. They released 25 episodes of brilliant film criticism. And like that, he's gone. Now, six months later, we're back. 
I didn't know we were gone. We've got a brand new name, new movies to review, but the same old attitude. Foul language and obscure references? Count me in. Each episode, we pick a topic, watch four movies related to that topic, then bicker amongst ourselves to decide which film is the best. We're the theme warriors! Join Iris, Jeffrey X. Martin, Doug Tilly, and myself for Theme Theme Warriors. Warriors. Four people, four movies, one dynamite show. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Horophilia Network of Podcasts, as well as the Legion Podcast Network. That's the Theme Warriors. Don't want to sleep no more. Who are you people? And welcome back. So, um, we are going to discuss two fantastic movies on the show that share the same author, uh, Mr. Eric Red. In order to discuss The Hitcher and Near Dark, I had to bring back a, a friend of mine from a show which is no longer with us. It's moved on to a better place. It's uh, it's uh, that big podcast graveyard in the sky, um, which was the Doing the Nasty podcast. That was, of course, my very good friend, um, Mr. Andy Blockley. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. I think I'm practically your new co-host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've, well... It's the third weekend in a row. Yeah, third weekend in a row. Doing the nasty should never have finished. Yeah, <laughs> my mind hasn't. I'm just reliving just, it. <laughs> I love the idea. You just going back through watching them all over again, every single one of them. Yeah, I just sit in my living room at nine o'clock every Sunday, just talking to myself. And Rachel goes, "What are you doing?" I'm just recording. No, you're not. <laughs> that show's finished. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's like that YouTube video um, of the that, that guy from the... It's like a wrestling meet and greet. And the guy gets handed the microphone and he's, he's praising them all for, for all their hard work. And he's like, it's still real to me, goddammit! <laughs> yeah. That's pretty that. much what's like... It's, it's, it's not finished for Andy. Um, Andy, how are, you, how, are you, how are you doing? I'm really good, actually, thanks, mate. Yeah, I've um, been watching it. Few horror films lately got back into the saddle, didn't I? After I said, "Oh fuck it, I'm not watching any more horror." Yeah, you, 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 Denim's horror. We went round uh, Rachel's parents and ended up staying over. And her dad, her dad went out, so her mum had downloaded the films. Like her mum's really on it; she's always got the latest films and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she went right. What do you want to watch? And she like read out a couple, um, and we ended up watching that house on Vine Street. Oh yeah, really fucking good. Yeah, I, I, you've 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 told me about it. It's now on my radar. Yeah. As a movie, I need to check out. And to be honest, it made like the, the day that you told me, "Have you seen this movie? It's actually really fucking good." Was the same day there'd been a post on Facebook. I think it's been released on on DVD now. And the company that were putting it out had said, you know, this movie made many top ten lists. And I was like, I've literally never heard of this movie before. <laughs> okay. Right, and I follow all the websites that do this shit and all the magazines and all the rest and I made no top 10 list so what top 10 list is this so of course I dismiss it when when they push that as a market angle I usually become quite sceptical but yeah. to hear that you watched it enjoyed it instantly fills me with confidence because I hate everything <laughs> you do you don't hate it that's unfair you don't hate everything there was a good three or four horror movies that you liked from last year yeah, well, that's I, think safe to I watched. Uh, I watched Crimson Peak, didn't I? Oh, what did you think? <sighs> it was alright. It was like, I don't know. It's, just... it's a bit. It's a bit obvious. Yeah, I just like, thought the CGI you, ghosts were awful. Like, I didn't mind them. 
you know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mind them. Reminds um, me of Mama too a bit. A tea, well, I, let me well, let me throw it at an angle here. I think well, Crimson Peak does it, and you're right. And I think Del Toro kind of fought tooth and nail to not have the CGI in it, but ultimately, I think he was he was brought down to a constraint of you need to get these movies out, and we can't do everything practical and all the rest. Um, I think where Crimson Peak does it right is there's a lot less of them in the movie compared yeah. to a movie like Mama, where Mama in the last half an hour there's a whole lot of CGI ghost in there, and Crimson Peak it, there there isn't actually a, in fact there's maybe less than three minute ghost time in yeah. that whole movie. I think my my biggest gripe was that it's not really a horror movie. Um, and all the marketing tells you it's a horror movie and it's Del Toro bringing back another slice of, you know, like, yeah. um, it's like the scariest ghost movie you'll see all year and all these sort of things. And it's not, if anything, it's kind of like a gothic mystery romance. Yeah, like a, more, and, yeah, like a love triangle sort of romance kind of thing. Yeah, it, it kind of owes more to kind of like, like, kind of Hammer Horror and like kind of Roger Corman Poe stuff like the, the Fall of the House of Usher than it does you know the haunting um, and I think that was I think that's where it got me I mean the performances are great I think the last shot, half an hour was really good because that yeah, was just it's like it's shot beautifully yeah, it is, I mean yeah. it's, it's gorgeous to look at it just felt like a story I'd seen before yeah, I mean, I think Del Toro's got this thing now where he does stuff where like a ghost starts off being quite terrorising, and then in the end, it's actually it's like there to help someone. And he's obviously done that now like about three or four times. And it's yeah. Just getting a bit same. It's like yeah, we've seen that in the orphanage. We've seen that in um, oh, what's the other one? The Devil's Backbone. It's like Devil's Backbone. Yeah. All now. Like it's just you know, it's almost like too much of a theme. Where, like, yeah. Why can't he have a ghost that's terrorising people because it's just an evil fucking ghost? Why does it always have to be like someone helping, like it ends up helping the people sort of thing? I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was alright. Rachel enjoyed it a lot more than I did. Um, mm. Tom Hiddleston's excellent. Isn't he's it? good. I like him anyway. It makes me laugh. Like, why is it always in an American film the British guy's the villain? Every, every time. Yeah. <laughs> I think Eddie Izzard did a great skit um, about. That's an old skit, but he did um, one on Star Wars and the Death Star. Yeah. He's like, the Death Star is just powered by English actors. <laughs> yeah. Like, every single one of them. I mean, the fact that Peter Cushion's there, you're just like, what the fuck? I know, it makes me laugh. It's They're all like, like Lord Vader. Like, the really well-spoken British guy is the evil guy every time. Of course. It's, of it's course. almost like, because I said to Rachel, because you're not sure at the beginning, are you, whether he's the baddie or not? And purely on the fact that he was British, oh, and he is, because he's British, and he was. And it's like, fuck's sake, that's... Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's, that whole, uh, it's that whole thing that, you know, America still holds over the UK, you know, that we, yeah. we try to conquer them and all the rest, even though you're descended from us, peeps. That's I right. hate to burst your bubble, you're yeah. British. Yeah, so my mate, um, when he was uh, away travelling, like, we'd get into arguments with American people because they'd call the English language American. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. He'd go, it's yeah. not. English, mate, and they go, No, man, we're speaking American. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what funny, even stuff like Bond movies and like, like Gone in 60 Seconds, villains always fucking British. Yeah, we did, um, I did one of the X Files recordings with Bo for Duncan and Bo Come Correct, um, and it was for the fourth episode. Oh, I've not seen which, that one yet. Which has Trash Man in it, and um, we were discussing the merits of what you call the vehicle that picks up your bins, and I was like, ah, It's a bin lorry. Yeah. Because that's what it is, and Bo's like, no, it's a garbage truck. 
And I'm like, no, it's a bin lorry. It's like comes and picks up your bins. He's like, yeah, but what does it? What does it leave with? It leaves with your garbage. So it's like garbage. And I was just like, he's like, that's just a very British way to, you know, oh, oh, here comes the, here comes the lorry to pick up his bins. I was like, because that's what, it, I was like, that's what it fucking does. Yeah, it's rubbish as well. It's not garbage. It's that's what I said to him. Yeah, wait till you listen to that show. I, I corrected him on that. I was like, it's not garbage. It's rubbish. I've seen so. the first two X Files and I'm really liking it. It made me laugh how yeah. he's blatantly Hank Moody in episode one. He's like, it- oh, totally is. I, I, I likened him to like a, a, an aging Alice Cooper. It's like Alice Cooper. St- he's like a rock star when he comes back into that. He walks on screen like a rock star, and then they're like, ah, yeah, he's been suffering from depression and he's a recluse. And I'm like, well, it's clearly doing wonders for him. Look at him. He looks great. I said to Rach, I bet, I bet in episode two, he's back in his suit with short hair and shaven, and he was. <laughs> so, yep. that's Mulder. He's got really- um, I, heard, I heard a rumour that they changed the order of the episodes. So episode number two should have actually been episode number five. Oh, okay. So I don't know stylistically why they did that, but... It, the more I think, the more I think about it now, having watched four episodes, it does kind of feel like by episode two they've kind of they've put on you put on the old uh, FBI badge a little bit quite easy. You know what I mean? They've kind of slid right into that role quite quick. Yeah, they um, didn't explain it. They just kind of eat like Skinner texts them and goes like, "Can we meet?" And then episode two, they're, they're FBI again, and it's like, "Hang on, fuck." Yeah. Did did you uh, two things I need to ask? First thing, when you were watching it. Did you get a little bit giddy when the original X-Files theme and uh, credits come up? Yeah, because I didn't think it was going to do it. I didn't think so. I, it's I, funny I, as well because um, we I'd read the new Star Wars movie wasn't going to do the scrolling screen thing. Oh, no. <laughs> and I don't know where I'd read it, but like I'd heard that like, they, they were going to do away with that. And then obviously, when because I've only ever been to see one of the Star Wars films in the cinema. So like when we went to watch it and it kind of goes, and like, it started like that, it kind of gave me the same feeling as I fucking how wicked it is. And I think they like, you know, like the fans want that, don't they? Even though it's kind of, I suppose some people argue it's not very original. It's like, yeah, but people want that little nostalgia kick at the beginning. Cause it of sets course the they do. That's, how you, you, that's how you know you're watching a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's the same with the X-Files. You imagine, had they changed that, what would have happened would have been they were doing pages and pages on the internet of butthurt fans saying, why did they change that? You know, like that. So they were like, that. fuck it, no, we'll just use exactly. Even though Mulder and Scully and that one are like 25 years younger, Fuck it. Thing is, they well, don't really look it, do they? No, they're actually. Um, I mean, I mean, the Covney looks a bit well worn, but Gillian Anderson, I swear to God, gets hotter every year. Yeah, she's had a, some very careful good work done. I think where like you can't tell she's had work done, but she must have done because you can't look that good at fifty, sort of things. You know? I, I don't know. She posted um, someone uh, some fucking ah. Uh, what do you call it? The Oh, what am I trying to say? Uh, a newspaper in the UK, like the Daily Mail or something, oh, yeah. had posted a, a breakdown of all the different parts in her face where they think she's had a Botox injection and all the rest. And she actually reposted her page and ripped it to shreds. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Gillian Anderson. Yeah. I don't know if she's, I don't know if she just looks after herself really well. I don't know. I think she probably may, may had a bit of work done, but I don't think she's had that much done. No, it's just really careful little bits here and there because obviously as soon as you start getting loads of work done, it is obvious, but if you get a little careful subtle bits done over the years, you can just tell because the shape of her face has just changed a little bit. You know yeah. I mean? But it's so subtle. But yeah, she looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's good fun. Good fun having that back. Andy, we have two movies 
to discuss on this show today. Um, this is this is kind of weird because when you were on a couple of shows ago, yeah, um, we were chatting and I can't remember. I think it was you. I'm going to blame you for everything because that's what I do. Yeah. Um, I think it was you that said something, something, something. The Hitcher. And I was like that. The Hitcher is like in my all-time top 10 favourite horror movies ever made. Yeah. It has been since the first time I watched it. It has never moved. I don't watch it as often as I used to. I used to watch it every year. And it had been a couple of years since I watched it. Um, but it's always there. It's always there. It, it's a phenomenal film. And then I thought to myself, why have I never discussed The Hitcher? And I do, I'm, I'm really bad for this, actually. The more I've kind of thought about it. Like, my all-time top 10 horror movies... I think I've maybe only reviewed two yeah. on this show, which is weird. I don't obvi- I, I don't often go straight for the movies that I know 100%. These are like the pinnacles of horror cinema for me. But the Hitcher's in there. And we're like, we should do a show on this. Yeah, let's do a show on this. And that got me thinking, what do you pair it up with? And our good buddy Gary Hill had put in a, a quite interesting suggestion that I was kind of toying with until I did a bit of research in the background and I found out that the production company from The Hitcher were actually involved, the producers as well, were involved with Near Dark, and it was written by the same author, this Eric Red guy. I didn't know that. Um, neither did I, but when I, the more I thought about it, the more I kind of thought, stylistically, these movies have quite a lot in common. Yeah. Like, a whole hell of a lot in common. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, we have to do it. So that's what we're going to be doing on this show. We're going to be covering Near Dark first, um, and then the Hitcher, so in kind of reverse chronological order, because um, we're awkward and that's what we do. Uh, but what we're going to do first is we're going to take a very short break and we're going to listen to that trailer for Near Dark. When we return, myself and Andy are going to be reviewing that movie right after this. Black Anis Horror Podcast. The podcast that will change your life forever. Repetition of the repetition. Is that a word? That is now a word. Intense. Zero whatevers. So insightful that you will question your place in the universe. You just said you wanted to see somebody stab a fish. Mind blowing. That is not what. That's not. No. Inspiring. It's one of two things all the way through either predictable or stupid. Life changing. This is going to be filled with spoilers. Black Anna's Horror Podcast. Exclusively available on the Legion Podcast Network. It's almost like a little advertisement. Yeah, the advert makes it sound so promising. Get home. You help me out. What are you on? Believe me. 
I told you. Just don't think of it as killing. Amen. Amen. Don't think at all. It's just something that you do night after night. It's only ever a question of how. Nervous. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. Be your boys falling in with control. Check out time. Some time, son. Like damn, this is my family. Let it go. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for our first movie review of this podcast, Under the Stairs. It's Near Dark from 1987, directed by, surprise, surprise, Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, it is, yeah. And you can, I think you can kind of tell as well, you know, like when you compare some of the themes and some mm-hmm. of the way things are shot. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. I mean, because we now have to say, you know, um, Oscar-winning director... Catherine Bigelow because she uh, she has she just she either won best director or she won best movie for uh, the Hot Locker can't, I can never remember I th- I want to say that she won best movie but didn't win best director for that but she's had a really interesting career with some cracking films I mean she did Point Break Point Break's the yeah, one man That's which amazing. pretty much means that she can do whatever she wants for the rest of time and not be judged yeah. I mean she yeah. could murder a baby puppy. <laughs> in front of yeah. people and people would still be like that at point break and she'd be like yeah fine just let her go um, so yeah so she she directed this movie this is right near the beginning of her career um, it was like in the first couple of movies that she did um, and I, I mean when I, at first I kind of it's surprising that she she did that but then when you see who were you know who's actually in the movie actually start starts making quite a lot of sense because she was married to James Cameron James That's Cameron right. yeah. yeah James Cameron huge um, friends with Lance, Henri- Lance Henriksen and Bill Paxton and uh, Jeanette Goldstein who was in you know Aliens as well so you know a lot of that cast kind of carrying over into this movie um, yeah. the movie was written in conjunction with Catherine Bigelow but based on the, the works of Eric Red. the movie stars like I said it's got Adrian Pasdar, Jenny Wright, Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, Jeanette Goldstein, Tim Thomerson, Joshua John Miller, uh, Marcy Leeds, Kenny Call, other folks. Synopsis for this movie. A small town farmer's son reluctantly joins a travelling group of vampires after he's turned by a beautiful drifter. Um, yeah, I, I grew up with this movie. Near Dark is one that is... Near, it's weird, like, because... When people talk about the vampire movies you grew up with, people in our age range kind of bracket, Andy, the the default one that a lot of people will go to is The Lost Boys. Yeah. Because The Lost Boys really does kind of epitomise that sort of movie you really shouldn't have seen at an impressionable age, but every kid saw The Lost Boys. Um, and it was goofy, it was funny, it was dark, the vampires were menacing. Um, and people focus on that, you know, this is when vampires were scary. And I always kind of feel sorry for Near Dark. It's like people gloss over that movie 
where the vampires are genuinely fucking terrifying. Like, yeah. absolutely terrifying. Um, and it, it kind of feels like a... Almost like a disservice. I mean, the, the Lost Boys is the flashier production. It is the it is the bells and whistles vampire movie, where yeah. the near dark is is not the you I, you would probably feel more comfortable with yourself being a parent letting your kid watch the Lost Boys. I don't know if you would feel as comfortable letting them watch Near Dark. No, probably not. I think that it's like rating wise as well. I think Near Dark's an eighteen, and uh, Lost Boys is only a fifteen. I think. And I think that's I think that's justified. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, we speak about we spoke about classifications and stuff like that before. But yeah, there's more content in this one, which is more menacing, overtly sexual. You know all these sort of things, anyway. But it's yeah. it's like the the thing that kind of struck me at it's been it's been several years since I watched Near Dark, um, just like it has been with The Hitcher. I want to say it's been longer. Um, the, for me seeing Near Dark and I was kind of concerned when we chose them that I, I knew I liked the movie but I kind of thought The Hitcher's going to steal this show The Hitcher is the movie for me and then coming back to watch Near Dark I was reminded by how much I actually really fucking like this movie and how much of it actually works Oh totally I mean I I think this is one of the only 80s vampire movies that isn't painfully 80s Yep and it does stand the test of time, age-wise. I think maybe if I lived in America, it might look old to me, but because we live in England, any kind of scenario where people are just dressed the way they are in something like Near Dark, it doesn't seem to age the film for me. Like I couldn't place what year that was made, and I think every other 80s vampire movie, even though they're great, you know, stuff like Lost Boys and Fright Night, they're cringeworthily 80s. Yeah. I don't think this one is. And it's weird, because I didn't... What, I, I, the only first time I saw this was only about five years ago. Really? Yeah, I didn't grow up with this at all. I was like in my well into my late twenties the first time I saw it, and kind of it's one of them things where you think, I don't know, I missed this because it's only a year. I think it's like actually a year earlier. Is it a year later than the Hitcher? Yeah, eighty-seven. Yeah, it came the year after. Yeah. So fucking, how have I not watched this? I thought it was like in that mid-nineties production when I first watched it. Ah, yeah. right. I, I think realized. the setting, the actual setting as well, I think does quite quite well for its age. Yeah. As well, the fact that it is just out in, in the sticks, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you can get away with that idea of it maybe not looking as kind of painfully 80s. Like you say, like when you remove the kind of idea of the fashion and then you move the idea of how houses look, how interiors look and things like that. Yeah, it's it. kind of farm buildings and saloons almost to an extent, you know, like small town bars that you can't really put your finger on and I would imagine that a lot of these places look the same even now kind of untouched by by time yeah totally and obviously the drifters you can't really place them because they you don't know how old they are yeah they're not really wearing anything sort of time you know age related either. I mean you watch something like the Lost Boys and Corey Hayne rocks up in a shirt <laughs> about 15 sizes too big he literally looks like he's borrowed his shirt from his dad <laughs> Like you can just see his little forearms and wrists poking out the armholes because it's that massive, and you think that's so freaking eighties. Like it's horrendous. Yeah, the Frog Brothers for me are, are when that mo- you know that movie is like the the, the most eighties movie ever. The Rambo headband and stuff. Yeah, it's like so many eighties references and two kids. It's unbelievable. Um, but but Near Dark doesn't suffer from that. And like the the plot synopsis says, um, we have uh, Adrian Pastar, he of Heroes fame. He would obviously go on and make a bit of his, uh, a name for himself in Heroes. And those that followed uh, Baz V Horror last year uh, and saw us talking about Home Movie, it's the same guy. Um, oh, it is, yeah. Yeah, he should have been... It was really weird. I expected him to become 
Like, he's got the looks of... He's got a very Hollywood look that you would expect he would go on and become quite a big actor. He's a good actor as well, and um, that never really happened for him. And it's quite weird. I'd be quite interested to hear kind of what happened to him in the 80s. I don't know, yeah. may, may, maybe he had a, like a, a kind of Feldman scenario and was face deep in some hooker snatch with, with, with a ton of cocaine. Who knows? Probably. Yeah, yeah who knows? Um, so, yeah, he is kind of local, local um, kind of... I don't know, hick sort of guy. Um, redneck sort of family. Yeah, and um, he is... Uh, I, I want to say that he pursues, but I don't know if he pursues as much as she does. But uh, Jenny Wright's character, may, the two of them start flirting. They go away to drive out in the middle of nowhere for a wee bit of riding. Um, she is is very concerned by the, the daylight if you've never seen this movie before and you don't know much about it, you'd be wondering why she's concerned about the daylight, but if you've seen it before, you know it's because she's a vampire. Yeah, I mean, they lay the cards on the table pretty early because I remember she looks up at the stars and says to him, I'm still going to be around when that star burns out in like a million years time. So yeah. like, it's pretty much tell you from like the sort of first five minutes because I kind of like the way like you've got this girl that turns up in town and he's there with his like three mates and it's mm-hmm. almost like I can imagine in a really small town like that where you know everybody yeah, an attractive young girl turns up. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, who the fuck is that?" So I kind of like that, you know. And everyone's going, "Oh, you know, go and speak to her, go and speak to her." And I thought that was really realistic. Yeah, definitely. I think the the, the thing that kind of their interactions are she's really good actually, uh, Jenny. Right? She does kind of play this very mysterious kind of girl. It's almost uh, dreamlike. The yes. Person. Yeah, yeah. It's very alluring and very dreamlike. And obviously, she then. When she realises the sun's coming up, she gets a bit panicky. She asks him to drive him back. He eventually becomes a wee bit... No, I was going to say forceful, but he stacks the cards in, in his favour by stopping at a certain point and saying, listen, if you don't kiss me, we're not going any further. So she bites him um, and then runs off. And what I like about this movie as well is that this all happens in the first five minutes. Like this yeah. like very, very quick bit that throws you really quick into this movie very much like the Hitcher does as well which like I say we'll go on and talk about but within five minutes he's been bitten and the transformation is immediate it's not a right we need to wait to the next night or anything like that and all the usual cliches and tropes that you get with vampire movies of this time you know he's, he's going to feel a wee bit ill the next day he's going to try and eat but nothing's going to stay down and yeah, you know ultimately they that, yeah they? they just they do away with it really quick so he is he is running back to his house and he's already starting to burn up and just before he gets to his house his, his dad sees him and stuff um, this RV appears out of nowhere and he's pulled in and we find out that this is May's family <laughs> Um, yeah. And it, it is a quite dysfunctional family. It features um, Je- Jeanette Goldstein, uh, who some people will know from Aliens. She was Vasquez. Yeah. Uh, so it has Vasquez, and she plays. Yeah, Di- mother in Terminator 2 as well, isn't she? Uh, yes, know? that's right. Um, she's Diamondback. Um, we have Bill Paxton, uh, who's Severn. Uh, he is the punk rock. Um, vampire of the the crowd. He is the epitome of eighties rebelliousness. Um, yeah. We have the young kid whose name escapes me. So it's like Irma. 
Yeah, Homer. He's just this. He's just this kid. He's just a small boy who's been turned into a vampire. And then we have the leader of the crew, uh, who is Jesse, played by Lance Henriksen. I've said this many times before. Lance Henriksen is just built to play a villain. He's almost the perfect villain, and every movie he's ever played a villain, he's the perfect villain. Mm. Even, yeah, even, right. I think he's the. I can never remember the name of the movie as well. Um, the Van Damme movie, which is set in New Orleans, and he's hunting humans. Oh, Target. Yeah, and Lance Henriksen could be the most vicious, like villain in a Van Damme movie as well. For someone that does do spinning back kicks or anything like that, oh, he's yeah. fucking evil as fuck um, and he is in this movie as well he's, he's just great in The Quick and the Dead as well he's fucking awesome he's phenomenal obviously things like Pumpkinhead and stuff um, he's, he's tremendous and he is phenomenal in this movie a lot of people will jump back to say Bill Paxton Bill Paxton no Lance Henriksen for me is he's just it's that gravelly voice it's the the makeup they've added the, the artificial scar on his face that you just get the feeling that you don't know how long I, I love that about the movie as well it never addresses how old he is now all he says is he fought with the south that's kind of the only clue yes yeah. I don't know if that's even like just a bit of a joke isn't it really yeah you, you, you don't you don't know how old he is um, there's a conversation between him and Diamond back later on where they recall the first time they met and you know, Jesse says, can you even remember the year? Can you remember the day now? Because I thought, oh, here we go, exposition. This is going to be like just sledgehammering your face how old they are. And they don't. They just gloss over it. He goes, oh, do you remember? Oh, God, how, long, how many years ago was that now? And I was expecting him to go, oh, yeah, about 100 or something. He yeah. doesn't. Yeah. I think I, that's great. You just let it go. Like, you don't need to know. Perfect. Because you don't, you, it's like, like you say, you don't need to know. So we find out that basically what Lance Henriksen and his crew do is they travel really along the whole kind of the all these kind of desert towns um, and go from town to town, feed and continue on their journey on a giant loop pretty much yeah. to, to, to come round and sleep by night and obviously the RV's allowing them this option of they can park somewhere or they can spray the glass black which they do uh, cover themselves up so yeah, they've been doing this for a long time and they're not exactly enamoured that May has turned uh, Caleb at all but they kind of start to warm to him even though Caleb is definitely very reluctant to be a vampire and um, we we end up there's so many like without going scene by scene in this movie we'll just cover the the big points so they end up at a bar and this is this is iconic to me this is like this is the scene that I knew for the fact I would love this movie forever Um, so they go into this bar and Severn's trying to show Caleb what it is to be a vampire, kind of really get him on board. So yeah. he goes out of his way to antagonise the people in the bar. Um, and ultimately, I love this, he kind of drinks the guy's uh, shot, spits it in his face, tells him it, it tastes like piss. Um, yeah. And then gets the guy to swing a punch at him and then moves Caleb in front so Caleb can take the damage. And then gets Caleb to hit him and this shows off that he's vampire power. And then they just clean the bar out. They just kill everyone on this rampage. And ultimately, we're left with the the bartender who has his shotgun, and Bill Paxton. You know, it's really creepy. <laughs> he really kind of jumps up on top of the the bar, starts menacing towards him, and uses his stirrup, in the back of his cowboy boots, to slice him several times. Yeah. Um, it, it's a fucking great scene. It's a great scene. You, I mean, and it holds up as well. I think. I think it's really well done. The practical effects and things that like really hold up. 
thing is how tense it is as well because it's like Bill Paxton's like just fucking with that guy first because he goes, oh, you're all right actually, mate. Like get him a drink. Yeah. And then when he gets him a drink, he like goes, well, you've got to fucking pay for it. He's just like totally messing with him, and it's the poor guy from Terminator Two that gets thrown through the serving. That's right. <laughs> on the fucking oh, poor guy should just stay out of bars. Um, but yeah, like, it's just so tense because you kind of it's weird because that guy, even though he probably is quite a hard guy, like you know the guy that's from Terminator Two, he um like he's not sure, is he? He's like like you can he's almost scared of Bill Paxton just because of how fucking ballsy he is. It's like normally if someone walk into a bar and be that much of a dick, they'd just get punched. But it's almost like Bill Paxton's got that much front that people are thinking, fucking hell, like this guy doesn't really look much, but he's giving it all he's giving it so much fucking lip, like shit, it almost like scares people off and I kinda like that. Because you're not sure where this guy's gonna hit him and then obviously eventually he does go to punch him, like so that's when he throws the other guy in the way. Um but I think if they killed the have they killed the bar the waitress at that point or not? Yeah, the, the waitress is the first one to go. I think. Yeah. Because um, they, they 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 bring her over and it kind of looks like they're going to seduce her and then they bring out the kind of open open blade razor and slit her throat and then just get the glass. Yeah, but it's the way it does. It's like Henriksen goes from being kind of dark and charming. To an extent, kind of putting the moves on, and then you kind of juxtapose that with the throat slashing and the vicious head pushed him over the glass, and then he throws her away as yeah. if she's fucking nothing, and yeah. then he slams the glass down, and the blood obviously it's not severing every drop of blood. The blood goes everywhere when he slams this glass down, and you just get this idea of how he looks at you know ordinary humans as the they are just cattle for him and it's even the way he kills her is very reminiscent of how they kill cattle you know the basically mm. oh you know the, the old butchers used to slit the throat and let them this sort of idea is, is how he looks at it and obviously from that point onwards everyone becomes a target uh, including um hairy neck man who Severn is pissed off that he has to, <laughs> yeah. to, to drink the blood from this guy. I love, once again, small attentions to detail. They would never mention that in another vampire movie, but they do. Yeah. He's like, I hate when they've not shaved their neck. Um, yeah, the, the whole scene works really well for me, and I think you, you're right. The, the fact that Bill Paxton is toying with everyone, and we know, as the audience, that things are not going to end well. Um, yeah. And it obviously culminates in him... Like really, just has moved beyond the point of toying into the the level of like a sinister nightmare when he's on that bar, basically coming towards the the barkeep who can do nothing. You know, he's, he's struggling to even fill the gun. Um, so so we have that. Meanwhile, uh, Caleb's dad is desperately desperately trying to track him down. Yeah. Uh, he's played by Tim Thomerson, who's, who's a really good actor actually. And you would th- what I like about this as well is he actually looks like Adrian Pastar's father in real life. His yeah, face yeah. is very, very, very similar. Yeah. And he's he's trying to track him. He's not entirely sure that the police are being all that helpful. Uh, eventually, culminates in um, a scene at kind of one of these motels where, where where they end up. And I love that as well. In the motel, when um, they're running out of time. Lance Henriksen goes in and the guy who's working at his motel who's obviously worked there his entire life this old guy kind of recognises him 
mm. and says, didn't you like book a room in here? And he's like, yeah, it was like 50 years ago or something, you know, we'll we come back round. And it's that idea of, it works two ways for me in a really clever way. It's one, this idea of that people get stuck in small towns forever. Yeah. You know, if this guy started working in a motel, you probably imagine he did it as a school job. He's there for the rest of his life. Maybe yeah, ends up... manager and he's going to die there. Yeah, which is the most depressing thing. It and is. the fact that Lance Henriksen has outlived, will outlive him, obviously, as a vampire, but so much so that he knows that he was there 50 years ago and he knows that, yeah, you did meet me 50 years ago. And he, he knows that. He has seen time ravage away at this guy and it's not affected him. I think it works really, really clever for once again things you wouldn't necessarily expect from a movie like this. Yeah, um, sure. It works really well. So they throw a big party, um, and young Homer, uh, who is a little shit by the way, he is <laughs> he is like he is mini Bill Paxton in this movie. Yeah, you know, wee shit stutter. Um, he comes across Sarah, who's Caleb's little sister, kind of brings her into the, the party party vibe and all the rest and then obviously Caleb notices it's his sister his dad comes through there's a bit of a, a bit of a scrap um, and they manage to get Caleb out and they drive him back but he's dying at this point he's dying um, and once again I love how they just come up with like they don't put you through the whole rigmarole of watching how long it takes someone to transform into a vampire and the same is said for the cure she just does this big elaborate blood transfusion, and by the way, you're cured of vampirism. It's as easy as that. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? It would like you'd have to do a complete transfusion where you pretty much got like you couldn't do that from one person to another. Of course not, of course not. But this movie doesn't even fuck around with that. It's just no, like it's just, there you go. Well, that's what we're doing. Fucking like it or lump it. Yeah, yeah, and you're cured, right? Let's let's move on with the story. So uh, Caleb does, you know. He does become cured. He's a newfound appreciation for his family and life. Um, and May comes to visit him. May is confused by how he managed to to basically escape this. Yeah, because she says, are you, are you warm? Why are you warm? And May's actually, of all of them, May's the, the reluctant vampire as well. I think that's probably why she is quite attracted to Caleb. She understands it's what she has to do, but she doesn't really... Reveling it as much as her. No, I mean, her like, I can't can't imagine a worse bunch of cunts to spend eternity with. To be honest, <laughs> you know I mean, like she's the only kind of decent one in the group. The rest of them are fucking arseholes. I mean, Bill Paxton's so good at playing a fucking douchebag. Yeah, he plays he plays a douchebag in so many movies at that sort of that time period. Obviously, like Aliens, he's a bit of a dick. Like he's a twat in Predator Two. Like True Lies, he's a total nerd. He's really good at it, isn't he? Yeah, and I think like. The reason that Lance Henriksen for me is the far better villain is that Bill Paxman's almost too much of a cunt. He's yes. Like, he's, not, he's like so over the top, whereas like Lance Henriksen's so kind of restrained. Because Lance Henriksen was originally going to be the Terminator, wasn't he? That's right. Back in the day, he was originally. They went as far as even um, as even kind of casting him um, for for the the audition role when they were pitching the movie. Uh, they had Lance Henriksen come in dressed up as a Terminator, and. Part of me would love to have seen that movie, but I've grown up with Arnie as a Terminator, and Arnie will always be the Terminator, but you could imagine that role being completely different, because Henriksen is not a big guy, no. so they would have had to adapt it completely in a way which I don't know how that would have affected the overall movie. Yeah, um, yeah. But you would know for a fact that he's like Schwarzenegger plays devoid of emotion really well, Probably because he can't really act. He, he does. <laughs> um, 
I, I would have been interested to see, because like I say, Heinrichsen to me plays some of the greatest villains of all time in cinema. It would be interesting to see how he would he would tackle that. And he, yeah, he, he's a good actor as well, though. He's a really good actor. Oh, yeah, he's great. I mean, and it's surprising because like, there's a lot of films where when you find out who else was going up for the role, you think, God, there's fucking hell, I'm glad he didn't get in. Like, there's no way I can imagine him in the role. Like, O.J. Simpson obviously was went for the Terminator role as well, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, that's the kind of thing where you just think, He's just Nordberg from that Naked Gun. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way he could have been the Terminator. Turns out, though, out of all those people um, up for the role, he's actually the, the one that's pretty good at terminating people. <laughs> he's the killer. He's <laughs> in real life. Yeah, so he could have got it. But no, like Lance Henriksen, like, it doesn't like outrage me that he could have been the Terminator. I kind of go, yeah, I can see that. Like, I can totally fucking see that. It's just like the expression on his face. He's like weirdly handsome, isn't he? But kind of odd looking at the same time. Yeah. and, and uh, so the, He's got if, a really kind of magnetic sort of... If you, if you define irony, um, you know, James Cameron obviously doesn't get him as the Terminator, but then does get him as Bishop. So, yeah. synthetic human being, I will get him in there somewhere. going to get here. That's it, and obviously he's fucking great as Bishop, isn't he? He is, he's the most compassionate person you will ever meet. And I love that about when you finally see... um, It's not Bishop either, but in Alien 3, um, when you see the guy that apparently is what all the Bishop models are based on, and you see how malicious and evil he is for Mm. the two minutes he's on screen... Um, it works really well, and it's, it's the the dexterity of the actor. I think yeah, he shows what a great actor he is. Yeah, yes, he he's phenomenal, and he's he's great in this role. You're right; he he steals the show. Uh, and speaking about stealing, um, when May is talking to poor Caleb, um, his sister Sarah is stolen by the vampires, so he decides that he's going to need to go and get her back, and he ends up in a bit of a tussle with Bill Paxton involving a large tanker truck. This is yeah. fucking awesome. Because yeah. um, at first he decides to run him over, which once again very similar to a certain movie we're going to be discussing later on. Um, and he hits him and he's like, "Yeah, I've got him! Fucking yeah, yeah! Celebration, celebration!" And then Paxton pulls himself up and his face is all bloodied up the side and he's starting to look quite gnarly. And the kind of hot-headedness that we're talking about is ultimately his undoing. Yeah. Because he starts like bashing at the truck, you like ripping up destroying the engine and of course Caleb jumps out and ultimately the truck crashes and explodes thus killing um, uh, poor Severn and um, we know uh, I love the small touch as well that one of the stirrups potentially the stirrup that killed the poor bartender lands on the ground (laughs) rolls along see my my only thing about that is I don't know why the truck blew up so easily yeah Um, it didn't actually hit anything what are you going to say? I said it didn't actually hit anything. So no, that's what I mean. Why physics? And, like, trucks are full of diesel as well, so it doesn't blow up the way a petrol does. Yeah. You know, it's just a cool effect, isn't it? It's one you got to let it go, because it's a fucking 80s movie, along with the blood transfusion. Just, like, <laughs> gotta leave. But, no, it's a fucking great scene of him, like, punching through the bonnet of the truck. Because, mm-hmm. obviously, he's got this superhuman vampire strength and just starts tearing out, like, fucking leads and cables and all sorts of shit, doesn't he? Yeah, because he ultimately becomes his undoing. And that's the, the kind of interesting thing about it, is that his hot-headedness, his wanting to, once again, show off like he did earlier on in the movie. He hated Caleb from the beginning, yeah. didn't he? Like, he's, he's literally, he's itching to fucking fight him, and he just, like, he just can't help himself. He knows he's probably going to end up dying, but he's like, I, got, I fucking hate this guy, I'm going to have to fight him. And he wants to. Yeah. 
Besides, that's what kills him in the end. It's his undoing, yeah. So we then move into, like, like I was saying earlier on, it's surprising how much this movie and the Hitcher are akin, because we move into these these big open roads and these car scenes and all the rest, and uh, eventually Caleb manages to track down the remaining members, and he kind of manages to get his sister back with the help of May. Uh, but by then the sun is already coming up. And there's not a lot they can do about it. They're kind of they're kind of panicking at this point, and um, we we have we have a kind of standoff at first. And um, I I love this scene actually. We have a kind of standoff at first where Diamondback appears behind Caleb with this knife, and she's getting ready to throw it at the back of his head. (laughs) Yeah. Just as Sarah tells him, you know, she runs at the car and she's like, you know, watch out. And he moves, and this knife goes straight into the mouth of Lance Henriksen, who catches it in his teeth like a boss. Fucking great, that, yeah. <laughs> it just like, takes it out, and he's very, kind of, his mouth's obviously cut up and stuff. Um, and we have this kind of car chase sequence towards the end. Poor Homer decides to make a, a run for it in the daylight. And this is, I kind of feel sorry for the kid, because I feel sorry for the kid because you can see the effect it's having on Lance Henriksen watching his kid as like the one that he looks on as his kid running along and just like the fire starting to consume him and then I'm gonna I'm gonna assume this is CGI fire. Um and it's just like overlaid, isn't it? It's well if that's if that's if the if that's how you overlay I think this is just overlay fire on everything because it looks fucking great. Yeah. Like we've spoken about CGI shit, isn't it? We've talked about this millions of times. CGI fire is like ridiculous. No one can get it right. No. You would think it'd be the easiest thing in the world to get right because you can just film it and superimpose it, but no, apparently it's impossible. Um, it, it's really effective. Poor Homer eventually explodes, um, and then we're left with uh, our, our buddy Lance Henriksen in the car with Diamondback, and he is by this point he is royally fucking pissed, yeah. and his face is all fucking bloody and menacing, and his his skin's all burning at this point, yeah. and he just he doesn't give a fuck. He just drives. He's I think he's decided he's gonna try and take them out with him, yeah. um, and he drives along this road, and eventually you know he can't get there. His car kind of pulls off. The car explodes as him and Diamondback dies. Um, May has been sheltered with clothing. Uh, she gets a blood transfusion and she survives at the end. And that's the end of the movie. You know, the kid, like Homer, obviously how he's trying to get his Caleb's little sister. Yeah. I've always kind of assumed that he's he wants to turn her. Yes, so, so he's got he's, someone his age. But he's an adult. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's weird. Body. So it is a bit weird because, like, I don't know. So, I mean, I suppose, like, she would grow old with him eventually and they'd both be adult wouldn't they but yeah. and then like what would he do then he wants to have sex with her or something i don't know it just i, d- I don't know yeah I, the, it, yeah i don't I, it's, a, it's a weird scenario but it kind of adds to this idea of 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 kind of loneliness that you know yeah. he is he's younger by quite a quite a bit of time in, they in terms of appearance. don't they uh, like earlier on in the film like yeah. he says you've no fucking idea how uh, annoying it is to be an adult stuck in a kid's body and Bill Patson says you've no idea how fucking annoying it is to hear about it every day yeah <laughs> so it's obviously something that he, he's constantly moaning about and it must be fucking awful you know like being being stuck at like three foot tall it always reminds me of um Kirsten Dunst in Interview with the Vampire. Okay. Uh, have you ever seen Interview with the Vampire? 
don't think I have actually. You probably, probably should. So it's a good, it's a good, it's not an amazing movie. It's not the movie everyone says it is, but it's a good movie. And you come across this scenario where, um, the accidentally turn. Um, this girl played by Kirsten, a very young Kirsten Dunst, and a vampire, and she, she's in love with Brad Pitt, kind of, but she's nothing she can do about her body's kind of pre-puberty, um, uh-huh. and this idea of, and she gets dressed like a doll, and and all the rest, and this idea of the pain it takes, going through the decades, being stuck as a child, like never yeah. grown up, even though our sensibilities are very much of an adult but not being able to and I, I, I like the way they handle it in that movie but I like the way they handle it in this movie because it is like you say it's a kind of throwaway comment but mm. the fact is addressed there is you know well, you don't have to listen to it every fucking day um, I once again shows how much of a prick Bill Paxton is in this movie yeah. um, is that no compassion there at all maybe there was compassion but it's, it's long gone um, this movie is fucking awesome let's get that up front and honest I think the cast Casting's great. I think it's shot great. I love those big open scenes, a kind of desert land and the kind of the skyline, the the kind of road movie aesthetic that it has of it. Um, I think really works for it. I think the script is a bit clumsy in times, like we said before, but I think it's ne- almost a necessity to keep the story moving and yeah. that he changes quick, there's a transfusion that fixes him overnight. Um, and I suppose from the logic of if he could become a vampire right after being bit, then why could he not be cured overnight with a mini blood transfusion? I don't know. It's, it's like they're a different sort of vampire. Um, in this movie, you don't see any crosses getting held to heads. You don't see any stakes going through hearts. No, no. It's it's you know it's ultimately the sunlight that is they're undoing or being blown up um, by a large tanker truck. Uh, so I I mean the, the it's a, it has a weird kind of feel. It almost makes the movie stand out because yeah. of that because it doesn't necessarily bow to cliches or into kind of stereotypical tropes that you would expect from a vampire movie. I think that's the best thing. It is pretty it is um, pretty stereotype free. Cliche free, yeah. I think is pretty good. Yeah, like it's it's surprising. Even though it has got the vampire tropes, which obviously it's going to have because it's a vampire movie. None of it's ever like eye rolling, is it? You never think, oh god, here we go again. It is. It's, it is done quite well, and there's some stuff in there that I've kind of not seen since because there's so many fucking vampire films now, mm-hmm. and I do kind of avoid them. It's one. It's, it's something I'm, I'm not really that keen on anymore. You know, if I find like a, a new vampire film, I just think oh, I've seen it all, sort of thing. You know, like I watched like Stephen King's The Night Flyer the other day. No. It's all right. I mean, there's good gore and stuff in it. You know, I like the practical effects and that. But at the end of the day, it's just it's not really doing anything any different. Yeah. And I think this film, for me, obviously in its day would have been quite original. But because I didn't see it, only probably first time about five years ago, and it still didn't seem cliche ridden, even though I'd seen so many of the vampire films before it. Yeah. So I think that kind of uh, that kind of shows how great it is, really. Yeah, the composition of the shots as well. I think is like it is wonderfully shot. I mean, there's huge sprawling sequences of desert roads, you know, like the the, the attention to the sunrise in this movie. Yeah, I mean, there's some amazing shots. There's, there's one shot where there's like a silhouette of all of them, mm-hmm. sort of on a mountain sort of thing, and we like the, the sun almost behind them. And then there's another one where he's riding out on the horse as well to go and rescue his sister. Yeah. Really similar shot. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's phenomenal. And it, there's, like, at first, when you don't think about it, the attention to so many kind of sunrise shots might seem as something where it's maybe used purely for. 
for a stylized point of view for the film, but when you consider that sunlight is ultimately the weapon that's used in this movie, mm. it makes more sense that we'd have a lot more. It's this kind of repeat, re- repetitive use of the sunrise, um, which I think I think works really well. I, th- I think it's you can obviously tell Catherine Bigelow goes on and becomes a pretty huge director, and you can yeah. see why. I mean, all the tools are here in this movie. Um, and like we say, the fact that you can watch it now and it still kind of feels fresh and interesting um, when it's like it's almost 30 years old yeah. is, yeah. is fucking nuts. Um, but it just it really, really works to its credit. Andy, is there anything else you want to say about this movie before we grade it? Um, have you got the Blu-ray? I do not have the Blu-ray. It's an interesting one because it's it's not an amazing transfer. It's pretty good. I know you're holding out Hope and Arrow or someone they're going to do it, aren't you? But yeah, it's weird because the film is so almost it's so dreamlike. Sort of, I don't know if it's a deliberate choice, but it's quite softly focused a lot of the like the the shots and stuff in the Blu-ray. And obviously, watching you know modern Blu-rays, you expect everything to be crystal clear and razor sharp. Yeah. And although the, the it's a very nice picture quality, there is an almost dreamlike feel to it, and I think that's deliberate. So I'm not sure if you cleaned it up too much, it'd, t- it'd kind of take that away. Yeah, maybe add a uh, bit of harshness to it that you don't need. Yeah, exactly. So I'd, I'd, um, I would pick up the Blu-ray if I were you can find it cheap, because it is worth watching on Blu-ray, because the, the cinematography really stands out, but it still keeps that almost like romantic dreamlike feel, which is really cool. A bit like um, the whip and the body. The yes. thing where it's quite soft but it, it, it kind of needed to be that way for the, for the tone of the film. Agreed, agreed, yeah. sir. Um, so, yeah, if you can find it cheap, I'd you know, second-hand or something for a couple of quid, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend getting the Blu-rays. I don't think there's any special features or anything on there, though. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the, 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 the picture's really nice. Yeah, like, my dream is that, and we, I think we've spoken about this before, my dream is that Arrow puts out a Hitcher um, near Dark box set. Oh, <laughs> it'll, never, it'll never happen, but it's my dream. I just want the Hitcher, like, because I watched it and um, yesterday, and it's it's not bad. I mean, some of the nighttime shots are pretty shit on the Hitcher. I mean, obviously we get to this when we talk about it, but um, it needs a good fucking transfer that movie and yeah. Arrow. Or, I, I I can't. I'm surprised they haven't done it already because I think this is like the thirtieth anniversary of Hitcher. So it maybe is, we'll yeah, yeah. It. Maybe I, I, we'll see it. I, 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 I don't know. I, I get that. I get the impression that there may be some studio politics. I don't know who put out the Hitcher, but I know that sometimes Arrow have good working relationships with, with some studios but not with others and it's like no, a rights no. issue so but yeah you would I would expect something to come out this year with it being the 30th anniversary and speaking of which Andy we, we need to get on and talk about that movie but first I need your grade yeah. so on the podcast Under the Stairs we do Netflix grades one is hated it two didn't like it three is liked it four is really liked it five is loved it Andy what is your grade for Near Dark? 4.5 I am with you 100%, sir. It's a 4.5 from me. This movie, if you've not seen it, check it out. You really need to check it out. It's it's one of those ones that doesn't get enough attention, but I'm, I'm actually all right with it not getting enough attention um, because I know I love it and I know that you love it and that's all that matters. Yeah, and it's a good one yeah, to kind of introduce to people. And if you haven't seen it, like I said, even though you've seen 100 vampire films before, this one is slightly different, so it's, uh, it's well worth checking out. Definitely. Right, we're going to take another short break. There's going to be promos for shows on the Legion Podcast Network. We are going to listen to the trailer for our main feature, which is The Hitcher from 1986. Myself and Andy are going to discuss that movie when we come right back right after this.
Hello? Hello. Who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Dan and Gav, yeah. That podcast was scary, I liked it. Most episodes they look at two different horror movies. Each episode they look at a world of a strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Hmm. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook... Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? Um. Heading west on a long, lonely highway, only his dreams for company, until... My mother told me never to do this. Before many miles, he'll wish he'd taken his mom's advice. When Jim Halsey let the hitcher into his car, he opened the doors of hell. What do you want? I want you to stop me. Once you've met the Hitcher, you'll never pick up another. My wallet's in my pocket. Shut up! We know how to do it. Jesus! Why are you doing this to me? You're a smart kid. Figure it out. I didn't do it. I didn't do any of it. I'm not a killer. This morning, this guy tried to kill me. He's been following me ever since. Welcome back. So this is the, the second and final movie review of this podcast, Under the Stairs. This is The Hitcher from 1986, directed by Robert Harmon, based on the story by Eric Red. This movie stars Rutger Hauer, C. Thomas Hill, Jennifer Jason Lee, Jeffrey Demun, John M. Jackson, other folks are in this movie. Uh, synopsis for this one, a young man who escaped the clutches of a murderous hitchhiker is subsequently stalked framed for the Hitcher's crimes and has his life made into hell by the same man he escaped. Um, 
Right, I have mentioned this already on this show. I have mentioned this on other shows. I will mention it again here. The Hitcher is in my top 10 horror movies of all time. And the reason behind that, more than anything, but without even going at the composition of the shots, um, you know, the actual story itself, uh, the main reason is Rutger Hauer. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like, Rutger Hauer in the 80s was doing some fairly incredible work like really really incredible work I've mentioned before on this show Blade Runner is one of my all time favourite science fiction movies Um, he is phenomenal in that he is the epitome of evil in this movie he is the most malicious sadistic one of the most sadistic characters ever committed to screen cold and unfeeling and, and just relentless absolutely fucking relentless and the way that he toys <laughs> uh, with, with the Jim Halsey character in this movie is is uncomfortable yet fucking amazing to watch yeah. now now that I've got that off my chest um, I grew up with The Hitcher as well I remember seeing The Hitcher kind of late 80s um, so it would have been it for a wee while and I remember seeing it um, I, I was staying at my dad's um, and we used to always, when I stayed at my dad's, we used to always go to the video store and we'd get to rent out a couple of movies and I always get to pick a movie and it was usually from the horror section and The Hitcher was the movie that I picked um, and then the subsequent two times I stayed out, The Hitcher was the movie that I picked again and again and I just thought it was, I just thought it was an incredible movie. Um, young Duncan was genuinely terrified by this movie um, and I just think... Before we start really getting into the points which makes us want to stroke it off, because um, <laughs> we will, um, yeah. I, I just kind of, I'll always, I will always come back and watch this and think that this is potentially Rutger Hauer's finest role. I know people all opt to go with with, with Blade Runner, and I can see where you're coming from that that angle. There's more dexterity to that character, but in this movie, he is just the most intimidating menacing thing committed to screen I think it, it's fucking brilliant when was the first time you saw The Hitcher Andy? right this was one of the first horror films I ever saw and this basically set the fucking benchmark for me for horror this is one of the films that got me into horror my one of my one of my parents must have bought this film because it was one of them things where I became aware of like movies and stuff I couldn't mm-hmm. have been that old I must have only been sort of like I don't know seven or eight um, I saw that they had this film and I always used to like the same way I would in a video shop you know have a look at the front cover read the back and it was in the cellophane like a bit there I think my parents have been a bit like you Duncan they'd buy films and they'd just sit on the shelf <laughs> oh hey like he without sin cast the first stone and yeah that's true you're, you're pretty bad at that so you might as well maybe take the cellophane off it I don't know but you, you've got maybe not a, as big a pile of unwatched movies as I do but yours is pretty big <laughs> yeah, but no, there is a point to me saying that anyway. Like, so I thought, shit, I can't watch it because it's it's in its cellophane. Like, they're gonna know if they're gonna know if I've watched it. And like, I used to get left on my own quite a bit as a kid, just because the way my parents worked and stuff. Only for sort of an hour or two at a time, and um, long enough to watch a movie though. So, uh, like, you you think your parents are thick, don't you? When you're a kid, you think they're stupid and that you can get away with lying, like making like telling stupid lies and that, like getting away with it. And like, and obviously, when you become an adult, you just think, fucking you know, like I must have been. So, you're so naive as a kid that you think your parents are stupid. And I thought they won't notice if I take the cellophane off. 
Like they just won't. They just won't know. It's, and to be fair, they never mentioned it. They never said, "Have you watched this?" But uh, I eventually, like, plucked up the courage just to like take the cellophane off and just fucking watch it. And it made such an impression of me on me. Um, it, it, the thing is, that it almost like ruined the next sort of ten years of watching films because everything had to live up to the history. Because like, when when you watch a film that good and it's one of the first films you've ever seen. You don't realise that you're watching an amazing film. You just think that all films are supposed to be like that, don't you? You just yeah. think all all films are meant to be this good. So when you've got a, a film like this where there's literally no downtime, literally scene after scene after scene is iconic, you expect every film you watch after it to be the same, and like and obviously they're not. <laughs> like loads no. of films are nowhere near <laughs> like that. Um, so for me, it's just always been one of my favourites. You say it's in your top ten. I think it's probably in my top five. I just think it's fucking amazing and there's like there's so much stuff with watching it as a kid that I just didn't appreciate you know you just don't understand the really complex relationship between like the you know John Ryder and Jim Halsey you just don't get it you just enjoy the fact that there's some guy like just fucking going around killing people like you just love it for that and like, you obviously watch it as an adult and you think god the score's amazing the cinematography's amazing the acting's incredible for how I mean some people say that see Thomas Howe as a bit of a shit actor and I just think he's a 17, 18 year old kid. Yeah, I, I think I, I, don't, I don't see I don't see the, the, the problem with his acting I think he's just the way a fucking young kid would act in that situation. I think like sometimes I, and it's not me trying to justify certain performances, I don't feel it's just my opinion I sometimes think that we expect I think Hollywood's ruined us to an extent that we expect grief or fear or apprehension to be the same universally. And it's not. It's like how how something affects me is completely different to how it affects someone else. Yeah. Uh, and how people show emotion. And yeah, I've heard the same arguments that see Thomas Howell, um, his character, Jim Halsey in this movie, coming undone in certain parts it just kind of feels forced and doesn't feel natural. And I think, actually, who are we to say that's not how... You know, he's on the road, he's trapped himself, he's been psychologically traumatised and tortured sadistically, piece by piece. At yeah. every turn, there's no escape from the hitcher. But I quite like his performance. I actually really like how, at first, it's kind of the nervousness and all the rest, and then the, the elation when he thinks he's finally managed to escape the hitcher and then at every turn a small bit of his his psyche kind of breaks away that by the time we reach the end of this movie the character has undergone a transformation which makes him almost he's almost become the hitcher by the end of this movie yeah the character arc's freaking great is and I think he's the, the only... I think he sells it and I, like I say I don't think it's the most authentic performance in the world but who's to say that that's not how his character would react to that having never experienced anything like this before in the past how would you know yeah I think it's fine like, I really don't kind of I really don't get the criticism about it and obviously he, he's he's always going to be outdone by Rutger Howard just yeah. because it's fucking Rutger Howard I mean like just the opening stuff with him when he's first in the car. That's fucking I mean, brilliant. What I love as well, like the opening shot, literally over the credits, is the Beetle overtaking Jim Halsey. Yep. And the hitch is in that car. Yep. At that point. 
because that's the car that you see pulled over on the side of the road later on, and that's the one obviously you fucking cut the guy's legs off and stuff off. Yeah. I just think that's fucking great, like on a rewatch where you just think, fuck, he's in that car. Like, right, from the, right from the right from the once again, like we were talking about in near dark, the first five minutes, Caleb's a vampire. In yeah. the first five minutes of this movie, the hitcher is in the vehicle and has been ejected from the, pretty much ejected from the vehicle. Yeah, he's, and he's, I love, I love the like the dialogue between him. He's like, "Are you going to tell me where you're going?" And he just goes, "Sure," but then doesn't tell him. Yeah, oh, it's so fucking. Because I mean, and then he tells him, to, and then he tells him to get out, and he opens the door, and you think he's going to get out, and he just. I just drops the fag and just shuts the door again. Yeah, he, he puts yeah. out his he puts out his cigarette, kind of shuts the door, and then it looks like ah, oh, it's the psychological like this is how this this is what I mean about Rutger Hauer being fucking amazing in this movie. The guy deserved an Oscar. I don't care what anyone fucking says. Um, he really did because like you say at first, it's you're going to tell me where where you're going, um, and he. he, he, he keeps changing the subject you got to smoke um, and, then, and then he's like are you going to tell me sure it doesn't do it he gets asked to run out, he says I run out of gas oh so you need yeah, a gas station yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah, I and, don't need gas yeah he's like I don't need gas and it's like you know and it's just it's what would you what would I think the thing about it is brilliant it's what would you do if you were a young kid and you were in a car and this clearly clearly psychotic man sits down beside you and just fucks with you and that's what that's all he's doing, and I, I love how it's the the kind of fake, it's the fake facade he puts on of smiling at certain points. So Halsey will smile and come back with something, and then when the camera turns back round, once again we're back to blank, emotionless Rutger Hauer face. Um, that's brilliant when they're both cracking up, and he's like, "What's so funny?" Because that's what the other guy says. Yeah, he's like, what other guy? <laughs> guy in that car back there. Yeah, as couldn't have walked very far though. He's like, why not? Because I cut off his legs and I cut off his head. It's like, oh shit! And that's when you realise, isn't it? Oh yeah. fuck! And it's like, like that. And I'm gonna do the same to you. And yeah. it's just, oh my god! And then um, we 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 end up with uh, he does he doesn't shut the door right, and um, Halsey eventually gets a bit ballsy. See what I did there? Um, and uh, <laughs> and pushes him out the car. Shut, you know, gets the car door shut. Speeds off. And it's the it's the elation. It's very similar to Caleb's performance in Near Dark when he hits Severn with a truck. It's this, yeah, woohoo, banging that, like, yeah, yeah. And you kind of think as the audience member watching the movie for the first time, oh, that was quick. Or maybe we're well, going so to... I think even as an eight-year-old kid, you know, as he's driving away, you think, even I've never really seen a horror film before, that's not going to be, you know, the film's five minutes in, like, you know, we know that that's, gonna, that's the fucking, he's not the last yeah. scene of that guy. It's, it's not the... it's great, that shot when he stands up and the camera is like at his feet and he looks about 15 foot tall, it's such a fucking amazing shot because I yeah. don't know how they do that shot. It kind of runs along the road mm-hmm. and then points up as he stands up. What a fucking shot. It's, a, it's an incredible shot. And I think you... You mentioned I think we were chatting offline about like one of the one of the opening shots to this movie. Well with with the skyline and stuff and it's just Oh yeah, and and the score just starts to gently creep in and the thunder's going you know what, this that's the this movie is the only reason I like Halloween four. Because <laughs> the cinematography like, and some of the shots are very similar and remind me of it, like especially the scene at the gas station where the car comes bursting through and all that. Yeah, yeah. It it does it's it's like Ah, it's so well shot. Um, so, so yeah, so the, the the next scene we get, um, 
of because obviously we have a lot of exposition of them traveling from place to place but the next scene we get is this this kind of pickup truck sort of thing uh, ahead of Halsey's character and the kid in the background's like playing pretend guns you know pretend to shoot and he's all like yeah choo 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 like this, and they're all like playing the guns and all the rest and the wee teddy bear's moving and then this teddy bear comes down it's the hitcher is in this car and there's two there's two things obviously um, you know Halsey's character is terrified because there's a hitcher again but then the concern creeps in that I know what this guy could do there's a family with a kid and he drives round and he's you know screaming at them you know the guy in the back is a psycho you know like and they can't of <laughs> yeah. course they can't hear him uh, and meanwhile we cut back to happy Howard sitting in the background going like that pew 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 you know shoot him shoot him he goes shoot him the girl shoot him <laughs> yeah, shoot, shoot him pew and um, we then we, we then uh, we end up seeing that Halsey's not paying attention. His car gets clipped by a bus, and then he, yeah. he drives on to basically chase down this family. And he arrives a bit late, and the hitcher has has killed him <laughs> um, yeah. in a pretty horrible way. We don't get, once again we don't get to see that, and I quite like that idea. We always only ever really get to see the after. Like this movie's this movie really is clever with that. It's what you don't see. Yeah, it's it's perfect. And it's, I think it's a lot of it's down to just the, the stylistic way it's shot, but the specific script and budgetary constraints that it had. I mean, this was a, this was not a huge budget movie. Um, yeah. And they used a lot of those budgets on blowing thing up, you know, as opposed to creating practical gore effects. Um, yeah. And, uh, the, yeah, we, we always... You always see the after effect of what the Hitcher's done, and then you're left to try and ponder in your brain how he did it or why he did it or whatever um, and the family are gone um, so uh, you know Halsey tries to make a beeline for a look you know the nearest gas station arrives at the gas station um, there appears to be no one in this gas station which is a bit alarming again and then the hitcher comes out you know in, in a pickup truck um, and oh this is great as well you know knocks over all the the kind of petrol dispensers and all the rest or gas dispensers as we call it in America um, and then we have you know ball, uh, we have Halsey's like rolling around in petrol basically and then we get Howard's head popping out of the car sparking up that match letting it drop but he deliberately waits that's the thing it's once again this is how he toys with with Halsey's character he yeah. waits enough time for him to get out of harm's way and then he lights it and and by this time Halsey's now been in the vicinity and involved with quite a few things uh, which you know may look a bit suspicious so when he finally manages to make it to um, this kind of diner Longhorns Diner, I think it's called. Um, he makes it there and he comes across the Jennifer Jason Lee character who yeah. is Nash yeah. and she is kind of, she's one of the workers there. She lets him in, he phones the police. The police show up and arrest Halsey because they think he did it. But we get, once again, another phenomenal scene. So um, Halsey's, and this is one of my favourite scenes in the movie actually, he's away, he fixes himself up in the, the bathroom and all the rest. We get this kind of false sense of him being safe. You know, comes out, there's some there's a burger and some chips being made for him. He sits down and he starts eating the chips and the shot is fucking perfect because the shot is focused on his face and this very kind of, he's eating this one chip but it's taking him 
ages to do yeah, it, you know. He dies, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's totally zoned out, and the hand goes off screen, and when the hand comes back up, he's holding a finger. <laughs> <laughs> and he freaks the fuck out. Yeah. Um, and this is this idea of the Hitcher, and it's not a real finger, um, this is his imagination. The Hitcher has started to... He started to psychologically damage the young lad, like really getting into. Do you not think it was a real finger? I always thought it was. No, what? No, because. I always thought maybe he just kept some in his pocket from like, the family that he killed, and he was just like following. Well, see, I, I, I was part right. You no, know why? It... Only because right. There's this scene where Nash puts the burger and the chips on the bar, and then walks out, and then it cuts away. Yeah. And then there's a good sort of ten seconds where you don't see what's going on, and that's when I just imagine the hitcher just popped up and popped up and like chipped a finger in there. But that is interesting that you say it's in his imagination because that is quite plausible too. Because yeah, well, the, the reason I say that is because it, he's still eating the one chip. It, you know, like he's not finished his chip to pick up another one. You wouldn't yeah. bite half a chip and then pick up another chip. Mm. So that's that's the only reason. That is the only reason. I, I think that, but it works. It, either way, it works really well. But he gets arrested. Yeah. He gets brought in. The police are now, they search him, they find the switchblade covered in blood, um, and he's like, what, no, this has been planted on me, it's been planted on me. Um, they take him in, they start questioning him, he's got nothing, the police are obviously, at first we know the police are pretty much convinced he's done it, um, and they start questioning him. Every Everyone that uh, Jim Halsey asks him to contact, they can't get hold of. Yeah. So ultimately, they have to lock him up. And I love this idea: the guy who's questioning him turns around and says, oh, "This kid's no killer. Look at him." He's I like that as well because that's quite realistic. Because if you're a copper and you've been a copper for twenty years, you can fucking tell. And you it's know, obvious. yeah, you know if someone's got guilt or not, or whether they saw it. And he's like, "This guy's no killer." Um. So he gets locked up in prison. He has his dreamy dreams back when he's in his cell to how he first came across the hitcher. Um, um, and he, well, he wakes up um, and the the door to the jail is open and you as the audience know things are pretty bad here. He walks out and sees the, the police dog which runs into one of the rooms when he goes in. The police have all been murdered. Yeah. Um, we, can, we can safely say the hitcher did that. Um, and just as he is kind of you know, kind of getting his wits together of what's happened, he realises that more police are coming. So he, he does a runner, um, and he eventually ends up at it's like another service stop. Quite a lot of service stops in this movie. Um, <laughs> he goes in to get some coffee, and he's sitting down, and he's fucked. You know, like, even the guy behind the, the counter says, you know, are you okay? And he's like, yep. You know, he's already started to become quite despondent. He already realises, yeah, like he's up against too much here. He can't handle this. Yeah, but. he can't. His brain cannot physically ha- fathom or handle what is, has been done to him. And then the hitcher shows up at his table, and we get this once again phenomenal interaction of him. Um, you know, you know, why are you doing this to me? And he's just, hmm? you know, he's just kind of figure it out. Um, but he's got the gun on him, so he stole this gun, and he's so super confident. And this this makes me love Rutger Hauer's character. John Ryder, one of the greatest villains of all time. He, when he killed the cops, must have known Halsey's going to pick up a gun and do a runner for it. So he's emptied all the bullets from the gun. (laughs) So when he's got a gun under there and he's like that, he looks under the table and goes like that, gun's empty. And and this is how I see it. Anyone that says that C. Thomas Hill is a shit actor has not seen this scene. Because he's like, oh yeah? Yeah? You know, this kind of... Kind of maniacal smirk. Really, really, is that what you're thinking? It's like you never 
checked the gun, did you? Never never checked it. And he even <laughs> puts his finger in the fucking barrel of the gun. Like that, you yeah. know, smiling at his face. There's no bullets in this gun. Um, and then the Hitcher puts the... The game's still on. So mm. the Hitcher puts down a handkerchief and inside the handkerchief are the are the bullets for the gun. And he just... Walk. Talk about the white handkerchief as well that just keeps reappearing. Yes. Yeah. Apparently that was, that was Howard's idea. He just introduced that. He just decided that was like one of his character things is that he'd have a, this hanky. Because like, as he drives away from the truck stop when he's like... He's kind of waving it, you know, like so he gets picked up by another another hitchhiker. He base, sorry, another driver picks up the hitcher, doesn't he? Yeah. As he drives away, this like hanky's waving out the window. That's right, yeah. And then it's the hanky later that he's like wiping his mouth with, and he's thinking it's so weird. Like, why did he? It's just one of them things, isn't it? You know, the white hanky just keeps reoccurring, and it's just one of the you know how obviously just went away and sort of just created this character. Yeah. Do you know he did all his own stunts? I did know that. I did know that. Um, which is incredible when you see how gnarly some of the driving is in this. You know, like yeah. the, the fact that Howard would just jump behind the car. He's, I, 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 I know like anecdotal stories of like the, the crew and things like that just being astonished that one, he would want to do the driving, uh, but yeah. two, that he did it so well. So, um, I, I, you know, it is great. And he, like the, the hanky comes down, he obviously puts his. He fills up the gun, um, and then he, he gets on the bus, which is parked there where all the the different um, like tourists and stuff. Like one of these, not tourists, but one of these long haul buses. He gets on and Nash is on the bus, so he comes back across Nash. Basically, she's already she was already kind of starting to sympathise with him in the past. Um, he explains things out, and she really kind of falls for him. Um, the police pull over this um, this bus. And they they drag him out, and they're you know they're being quite forceful. No, that's not right. I've jumped a scene. Um, he commandeers a police vehicle, and um, yeah, and then he just fucking takes him out, doesn't he? John yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, he t- he commandeers this police vehicle, and he gets them to he like takes these cops hostage, gets them to phone their captain. Um, he speaks to the captain, explains roughly what is, and this captain says to him, you know, gets cap. Captain Esteridge or something says, you know, I will we'll get this done for you. Um, I, I'll look into this. You have my word. Um, and he thinks at this point I might be all right. And then out of nowhere, the pickup appears with uh, with John Ryder's character, who then just guns down these two police officers and leaves them fucked. Yeah. And that's that's when he, you know, he ends up on the bus. And then the the bus gets pulled over. Um, and then we once again have. Like Nash comes to his rescue this time. She pulls a gun on the cops. Uh, mm. They make a run for it. They get in the car. They drive away. They're then chased by the police. Um, and <laughs> this is the uh, this sequence is the one that kind of stretches the 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 realms of reality a bit for me. Kind of reminds me when you watch American Psycho and the, one of the sequences when you know that kind of Patrick Bateman is completely insane. It's where he gets a gun shoots twice at a police car and the car explodes and then he looks at the gun as yeah. if to say what what the fuck was in this gun that made yeah. it yeah well they, they take out not only like two police cars but a helicopter um, <laughs> which is really um, and they ultimately end up at a, like a motel sort of thing or you know, one of these kind of hotel motel things and they're kind of starting to relax a little bit and uh, 
Alls he goes away for a shower and uh like John Ryder shows up creepily in the bed with her. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so fucking sinister. Um when he comes out, she's vanished. And he opens the door and the police are there and we find this Captain Esteridge guy is there and he's like, Right, listen, you need to come with us, you know. I spoke to you on the phone and all the rest. And then and we're gonna we're gonna discuss the remake, Andy. But this is one of the reasons the remake doesn't fucking work. Um is that we get this we get this scene where he's brought round and Nash has been tied between a stationary trailer and a, a and a lorry truck. Um yep. And I love how the police are just like, you need to get in there and talk to them. <laughs> like, we don't want anything. Get in there and see what you can do. We have yeah, this. There's nothing you can do, isn't there? Yeah, so. we, we have this hostage negotiator that has flown all the way in from Texas here, and he says he doesn't want to do it. So you need to go in there and save her. And then <laughs> yeah. um, he goes in and sits down, and nothing, nothing he can do is going to stop John Ryder. And that's I, the thing, isn't it? Because he wants him to shoot him in the head. Yeah. And if he does that, his clutch, his foot will slip off the clutch, and that it's just going to roll anyway. Yeah, it's the only way that he's the only way he's going to be able to stop him is by killing him. But yeah. if he kills him, uh, you know he's he's going to kill Nash. Um, he doesn't do it. He waits too long. So John Ryder revs up the engine, and then once again, this we don't get to see what happens. We get this kind of almost like a snapshot screen. Um, and we're with uh, Jim Halsey, who's now in the police station, being, you know, getting a checkup and all the rest. But Rutger Hauer's being captured, and um, I love this scene as well. Actually, there's so many, there's so much I love about it because it's kind of funny. But you probably, <laughs> I don't know if you're supposed to laugh at this. Um, he obviously they're taking him out and he passes. He's he's been let off. The police know it's not him, so he's now free to go. Um, yeah. And all he has to do is go. You know, all, all he has to do is listen to the police officer and go. That he doesn't have to worry about the hitch ever again. But he's, you know, he's in his head, and they're walking past, and they're questioning him. And there's a question, and they ask him what his name is, and of course, Halsey says, you know, it's John Ryder. So this this yeah. copper decides he's going to take him in <laughs> to speak to him. Oh, this is great. So he goes across, and they they both kind of clasp hands, and it looks I don't it's really weird. It looks like almost like John Ryder's going to kiss him, um, and. Halsey spits in his face and yeah. the police officer the first thing the police officer says this was a bad idea it's a bad idea it's yes bad. it was yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's just like it's a bad idea bad idea like this. <laughs> of course what did you think was going to happen so he takes him out and we're, we're towards the end of the movie now um, the captain is taken away Halsey in one direction Rutger has been taken away in the other direction in one of these kind of prisoner transport vehicle things and we're flashing between the two characters and Jim Halsey I think he's imagining what you know John Ryder is going to do and how he's going to get and all the rest and he decides no he's going to get away this is never going to stop I need to stop I need to I need to be the one to stop him so he basically yeah. he pulls a gun on the police officer gets the police officer go drives out and meanwhile we've seen all these snapshots of the things that Rutger Hauer might do and right enough Hauer does he manages to get a hold of a shotgun and put some puts the police officers down and then we end up with the iconic final scene of at first John Ryder's in front of him in the vehicle uh, almost taunting him um, and then he starts you know he's shooting up the car and then um, Jim Halsey manages to get the car started again and he hits him drives smacks him 
and then he goes over to check if he's okay. He takes the shotgun off John Ryder, checks if he's still alive. We all know he's still alive, but Jim Halsey might think it's over. He starts to walk away and the the chains that were used to handcuff him get flung behind him and he turns around and John Ryder's still up and eventually he pulls the trigger, shoots him a couple of times. Um, end of movie. I fucking love this movie, Andy. I'm not going to lie. This movie, to me... It's perfectly paced, it's perfectly shot. Um, Rutger Hauer's character is phenomenal. Like I say, like Thomas C. Howell, I actually think plays in the role quite well. It's absurd at points, yes, but not to the point that distracts or detracts me from the movie. I like Jennifer Jason Lee, I think she's really good in this. Um, you know, for the role that she has, she kind of plays that kind of kind of almost clueless sort of character who really kind of falls in love with the quote-unquote bad guy and wants to believe there's something good in them and um you know and and ultimately end of her character is quite tragic i think the action sequences are great i mean this is all practical stunts Uh, out on the road on the road on the road road, i think think that's 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 great i think the weight at the end of this movie as well as you it's that powerful i always say that like iconic end sequences to me always have to live up to michael mann's heat yeah. It's a movie I, I I love when you have that scene of the, you know the, the football field. You've got, yeah yeah. I, well, I, it's, it's just it's just it's it's incredible. It's iconic and you know it's, it's kind of really uplifting emotional moment. And this movie has the same. But you know, all we we never you never find out in this movie why John Ryder is doing what he's doing other than he appears to have a death wish and he's almost looking for the adversary that might be yeah. able to do it um, and so the, the torture that he's putting through Jim Halsey is to put him in a position where he will ultimately be the person can he be the person to kill him and he's, he's, he's kind of the, the, the transference of the character from kind of really annoying teenager brat teenager at the beginning to this kind of cold killer at the end of this movie it's a great story arc um, I just think it's a fucking phenomenal movie, the score's amazing it's shot, um, like so many iconic shots of, of skyline, of road um, the action shots in the vehicles are amazing as well it's just a fucking phenomenal movie it is, I mean I love the fact that his agenda's almost clear from the beginning because he says I want you to stop me, he says that in the end yes. of the shot and it's weird because I think like Jim Housie earns the John Ryder's respect when he kicks him out of the car. But then as the yep. film goes on, I think he kind of like loses his respect again. But I think then by the end, when he realises, obviously he goes out, you know, he pulls the gun on the cop, takes the car and goes after him, you know, to so almost like, Jay, you know, like Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween H2O, you know, she's fed up for running. I think he kind of then like re-earns John Ryder's respect again. You know what I mean? Because he, kind of, he, just, he just wants him to kill him, but he doesn't, he's obviously not... You know, he's not the kind of guy to commit suicide, John Ryder, but he do, he obviously doesn't want to be serial killing anymore. He's had enough, you know, he just wants someone to give him almost like a, uh, what they call it, like an honourable death, isn't it? Yeah. You know, from 300, he wants his honourable death, and he's kind of, I think he, he's, I mean, you don't know how long he's been asking people to finish him off, and he just hasn't found anyone that's been able to do it. Because he doesn't want to make it too easy yeah. for them. You know, but he's just trying to find his, like, kind of meet his match. And, uh, you know, and Jim Halsey, although at first there's no way you think he's going to be the Hitcher's match eventually, you know, he does he does sort of take him down. But, I mean, there's so much stuff in this. I mean, like you say, the stunts are fucking amazing. Like, Rutger Howard dive through that fucking windshield. 
car. It's fucking incredible, isn't it? Doing it. Um, yeah. Like when he gets run over by the car, like, and he goes like rolling backwards, like through the dirt. That is Rutgerhauer, because like the shot doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And the next thing that you see his face, you think, fucking hell, like, what? Is there any stunts he didn't do in this movie? Because it's fucking mental, like yeah. some of the stuff he put himself through. Um, I mean, it's just it's just scene after scene, and for me, like this is a this movie is a masterclass in what you don't see. You know, like because there's yeah. so much that you don't see, but it's so effective for that. Apparently, like the producers wanted to make this really fucking gory. Um, and I'm just really glad they didn't. And obviously, I'm a total fucking gorehound, but I'm just so pleased that they didn't. You know, like the family being killed, you don't see it. The police station massacre, you don't get to see it. Nash's death. And even though I was convinced as a kid that you saw her get her arms torn off. So was I. Yep. You don't no, see I'm anything. Convinced. You know, um, breaking out of the yeah. police vehicle. You don't see how he does that. You just see him, like, you know, blast the doors open and out he comes. You don't see how he escaped. And something like, I mean, the only thing I can equate it to, like, it's a similar scene, is there's a, in, the, in the first Terminator movie, there's a police station massacre. And obviously they yes. set the scene at the beginning of that movie by ripping someone's heart out in the first five minutes. That if you didn't see that police station massacre, you'd feel like you'd been robbed. Because for me, that's one of the best fucking scenes in the film. You know, tearing the power cable out the wall and shorting out all the lights and all that's fucking amazing. Like for this, you don't need to see how he killed all the police. And it's far better for me that you don't see it, that you just see the aftermath in the fucking Alsatian licking the guy's like slashed throat. Oh, it's so creepy as well as this idea that the dog would turn on its master. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's a dog ultimately. You know, it's whatever it's been trained for. If it's hungry, it'll eat. Um, I love, I love those. I, I love that idea as well. I think you're like you, you're like one hundred percent spot on about this one. You add too much gore into this, it, it ruins it. When you look at um, the movie Joyride, has a very basically rips off the scene of the person being attached between the truck and the trailer and you get to see that you get to see you know like the the the, the getting the pulling apart of the body and stuff like that what, and what film yeah that? you uh, joyride the sequel cuz no no jo joyride the you actual movie you don't get ripped apart in that do you no, you I don't. Thought you did. No. Do you know? Tell you what you do see in. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Does anyone ever get ripped it's apart? It's the remake, mate. Just, in the remake, you see, you see everything, and he literally that's... gets ripped in half, and his all his intestines fly out. It's the Hitcher remake where they literally show you everything. That's it. Yeah, and I feel, yeah, which was, brings me back to my point um, that I was saying earlier on. They, they, they remade this movie. Platinum Dunes yeah. remade this movie. Um, and once again, I don't necessarily think this one is the sort of movie that can't be remade. I think that it can be, but I think you need to watch how you yeah. remake it. And they did everything that like I've covered it before. I it made my top ten worst horror remakes yeah. of all time list because it, it not only is it needless, but all the atmosphere, all the tension, everything that makes the this movie iconic and really really powerful cinema. Is not in the not in the sequel. It's because they show you everything. All the things that we say you shouldn't, you don't see in this movie, you see. And that's why when you're saying this, the sentence, the producer want the producers wanted to make this far bloodier, gorier, and all the rest. And I'm glad they didn't do it. Well, you get that version later on, and you see how little impact yeah. it has. Well, that's it. I mean, it's weird. Like, and they tried to be clever, like changing it round so it's the guy that gets ripped in half instead of the girl. And it's like, but that. So what? Like, what do you think you're being smart doing that? Fuck off. 
yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's it's, it's pointless. Um, and I mean that's and I like Sean Bean, but Sean Bean is not yeah. Brooke Gower. Um, and I, I mean like there's plenty of roles I've loved him in, but he's, he just doesn't have the impact at all for me. It's, it, it fails on almost every level actually. It, I, I, shot well, that's it. Um, but as a horrible, we were speaking about this offline as well. Uh, as a horrible fucking misplaced metal oh, soundtrack. God, yeah, literally like there's cars flipping through the air in slow motion, Michael Bay style. You've got his yeah. nine inch nails fucking rocking out in the background. I think. Does yeah? It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. There's no reason for the it. The only thing there. they do well uh, right, in the remake, and I think like Sean Bean is quite a good hitcher. Actually, he's obviously. Just it's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not terrible. He's. He's actually. I see. I can see why they picked yeah. him for the role, because he is about the same stature of someone like Rutger Hauer. He has the same sort of kind of facial expressions as an actor like Rutger Hauer. I just don't think he. Like, it's very difficult to beat yeah. that performance. You I know think, what I mean? I, I think had it been the only hitcher that ever existed, then yes, it would have been. It would yeah. have been good in it. But you, you have to live up to. Tower's performance, which is just on a I think the only level. thing they do quite well in the remake is this thing where like just terrible circumstances keep happening where the people where the two people on the run are just totally getting framed for stuff. They kind yeah. of do that well. Um but that's yeah. That, I said, that's I said, I, I, you know, they yeah, don't do they, it they still don't do it as well of, as the original. Yeah, they they kinda they, they work off the original idea and, and some of it works. But yeah, it's, it's a pointless a pointless remake. Um yeah, I, I genuinely think, like, that you've seen the more we're talking about it, it might actually be top five yeah. for me as well, Andy. I know it's my top, I, I, I'm not done my list in a while, but it's just every, this movie to me just hits the mark everywhere it needs to hit it, and it's just, it's a great, tense, thrilling movie. I think it portrays an on-screen, you know, psychopath, Potentially better than 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 you know eighty percent of movies that do have it. Um, this idea of I mean there are like not over in this country, but the the idea of the the hitchhiking serial killer is is a huge thing in America. I mean when you look at who was making the news at that time, you had people like Henry Lee Lucas okay. and things like that. Um, and this most serial killers eventually get to a point where they want yeah. to be stopped. They get to this idea that they want to be stopped, and none of them will. They they always talk about serial killers who try and take their own lives. At one point, a serial killer will get to the point where they'll get so depressed that he can't stop that they contemplate taking their own lives. But they're so narcissistic they'll no, never do that. No. Uh, and ultimately, they they want the attention or they want to be brought in or whatever. And um, I think this movie handles that aspect as well. That you know, ultimately, uh, Ryder wants the adversary that can finally stop him, the person. And by doing that, he's essentially creating himself in someone else. Uh, to, to Almost to defeat himself, he needs someone to be yeah, like yeah. himself, which I think is I think is an incredible concept as well. I love this fucking movie. Anything else you want to say about it before um, we grade just it? Just a couple of things I think I really like, lost on me as a kid. Um, like the co- really complex relationship between them two. You know, like what we've just talked about, like yeah. what you just mentioned, like about serial killers. You know, th- that kind of thing is totally lost on you. I think there's kind of weird homoerotic undertones there. Um, that may or may yes. not have been intentional, but it kind of it really works in the movie. Um, the, the spit on you spit on my wrist, wipe it off thing. I didn't get that yeah. as a kid. Oh, what's that about? Why do you mean, <laughs> you, mean you spit on your wrist? So what? I didn't get it. I didn't get the thing. And obviously now, like 
it's so fucking prevalent today in society, like, you know, there's so many people getting shot by police. This whole thing of, you know, he mm -hmm. basically wants him to grab for the, you know, to go for his wrist so in front of his witnesses, he's got a reason to shoot him. You know, just little yeah. things like that. Um, and I think, uh, like, John Ryder's literally got to be in the top five or maybe even top three best kind of psychopaths in a movie for me, along with, like, Anton Chigurh from uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, Gary Oldman's yeah. character, Stan from uh, from Leon. Leon, he's up yeah. there with one of the best fucking on-screen villains of all time. It's just fucking amazing, and yeah, this this is just an incredible film. Just scene after scene after scene, and it just fucking ruins like watching horror films for the next. <laughs> and it's weird, like this is the one of the films I remember as a kid being really gutted when the credits rolled. Like, oh, is that it? You know, and it's like, fucking, what do you mean is that it? It's just been 90 minutes of fucking brilliance and an incredible finale. But for me as a kid, like, you don't kind of realise how a film structure is and that there's got to be a cut-off point where it finishes. And I remember just thinking, ah, oh, like, fucking hell, it's finished. Yeah, it's what, it's what, what they say about um, the, the, the hallmark of a great movie is always leaves yeah. you wanting more. Um, and this movie does that I'm the same as you every time it finishes I'm like ah, it leaves me a bit on. empty you know when the credits just roll and it's just like him just stood there with the other guy on the ground it's like oh, are you not going to show me anything else it's like well no what else did, can you possibly show me but I don't know what I want more and I think did you ever catch In Fear? Uh, yeah I, I wasn't that keen on it well, I was gonna say, In Fear is a movie where is the like when that movie finishes, like because it's basically the Hitcher in Ireland. Um, when that movie finishes, you're kind of like right, the movie's finished yeah. and you're done. You know, you're you're not like oh, what more like that. And once again, it's a testament to a movie that does far less. I mean, the the, the Hitcher's power is how little the movie actually does do, and how much time it focuses on the psychological breakdown yeah. of a character. Um, that ultimately that's that's the trauma of the movie the trauma of the movie is what happens to uh, C. Thomas mm. Hill's character it's not you know that's why you don't need to see any blood or guts right. on the screen because that's that's where that's where the damage is done that's where the brutality is is the ordeal that he's actually put through as an individual um, yeah quite just quickly touch on the sequel there is a sequel called Hitcher 2 I've Been Waiting yeah you you tagged me and you mentioned this last night to me and I remember this coming out and I never watched it because I remember Jake Busey was the, the Hitcher in it Gareth um, Busey's son isn't it um, yeah like see Thomas Howe is in it again driving on the same stretch of road why <laughs> why would you do that um yeah, I think, and I, and I, this is horrendous, I actually think, I'm not 100% sure on this, I might be wrong, but I think the Hitcher in the second one is meant to be John Ryder's son. Oh, fuck Which this movie. fucking lame, dude. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Holy shit. Like, why, well, at what point did he have a kid? Like, what are you on about? It'd be much more... It'd be much more effective if C. Thomas Hill was driving the same stretch of road, which he hadn't done in, in a long time, and then people started dying because he saw the Hitcher do it and it turned out just to be him. That would have been great. Why? That would have been a great fucking movie. Make that happen. Yeah, but fucking hell, like, horrendous. Um, so, yeah, <sighs> avoid that at all costs. This is a great standalone film, you know. They they, they just attempted to cash in. Because it wasn't critically popular when it first came out, this movie. I don't think it did very well at all. It's one of them ones a bit like with The Thing, in Big Trouble in Little China. They flopped at first, and now they're absolute fucking cult classics. Yeah, as is the, the epitome of a cult classic. 
really is. Um, right, in terms of grading, I'll kick us off first. It's five for me. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Duncan yeah. says a five. I love the movie. I think it's. I think it's a, a perfect piece of of psychological horror. Um, what about yourself, Andy? Yeah, as if you had to ask, it's a five, and um, obviously it's a five on the rating that you use. But if I was grading this on the grading that I'd use, like a one to ten, with ten being a perfect film, I'd also give it a ten. Boom! It's fucking amazing. Yes, right. We're going to take a very short break, and he's going to stick around and close out the show with me because we got some we got some arrow talk to do, which I don't get to talk about with anyone else. So, <laughs> uh, right. So we're going to be right back to close up the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast under the stairs and you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been episode number 77 where we discussed near dark from 1987 and the from 1986 andy did you enjoy that Fucking great, mate. It's been that's almost feels like I can't believe we haven't done it before. Talked about the Hitcher has literally always been one of my favourites, so it's finally good to kind of go through it with someone that appreciates it as much as I do. Yeah, yeah. I'd like, I, I'm glad that you mentioned it when you were on the show a couple of weeks ago. That's the important thing, right? Um, both me and you, they were recording this on Valentine's Day. For, for, for the peeps out there, this is how I spend my Valentine's Day chatting with my Valentine. Right, um, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is very romantic, but not as romantic as the fact that both of us today will have copies of The Mutilator, um, which has been released by Arrow Video, and um, you were just telling me a little story, like, I know this movie by reputation and that's why I bought like pre-ordered it, because I was like, yeah. this movie has the reputation of being absolute fucking bonkers, but you were quickly telling me before we started recording that, you, like, you remember this one from back in the day. Yeah, it's weird. This is one of them ones because I like, obviously used to get a lot of uh, films from the video shop. Um, but I also used to go to HMV um, and buy the films that I couldn't find in the video shop. And this was one of those ones where I'd see it all the time and I'd see it in the shop and it was always a Vitco Vault of Horror one. And to be honest, in hindsight, I actually don't think it would have been the uncut version because um, I've, re- I've, like, I've since looked on Amazon I don't think the Vitco one was completely uncut. Um, but it was one that I literally never, uh, for whatever reason, I think it was just too expensive. I always used to get films when they come down to sort of like seven or eight quid. And I think it was still about £15, which when you're about 14, 15, is quite a lot of cash to shell out on a film. And the thing that really used to stand out to me was that the, um, sort of the tagline was like, by pick, by chainsaw, by some other weapon, by buy. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's finally come out. So I literally feel like I've been waiting 20 years to watch this film, which is... I mean, what we were talking about last week in the Evil Dead, man. Like, there's too much hype. Probably, it's probably going to be awful. And like, and I wish I, like, I think it might turn out. I wish I'd never seen it because it'd probably be better in my in my mind <laughs> than what it turns out to be. Um, but yeah, we both ordered a copy because um, Amazon are just cunts and treat their workers like shit. We're both getting Sunday deliveries. <laughs> <laughs> I think yours has turned up. Your mice is downstairs while I've been recording this, so. Yeah. When I go downstairs, I'll actually have my copy, so I'd like, I'd, I dare say I'll be posting it to the page to yeah. piss off some people um, as soon as I get it. But yeah, I, I, I know this movie, like the, the reputation that this movie has and the the kind of idea that we now live in a time frame where these really obscure, really fucking weird, really cheesy, really nasty movies can be given the arrow treatment. 
is just um, fucking mind blown. It's great. It's great for you if you're a collector and a follower yeah. of horror and things like that. Have you read the, there's an early review. I can't remember what website. Some, but some like, there's obviously advanced copies gone out to the uh, some of the horror websites, and it's got the, the transfer is apparently great. Um, oh, nice. Sound, the soundtrack is really cleaned up and nice, and apparently there's an absolute shitload of special features and stuff as well. So. Yeah, even if the film kind of disappoints me, the package itself is going to be amazing. And I think I've just kind of got just got to go into it with an open mind. Um, and, uh, I mean, it looks it does sound pretty good. I think it's really notorious because of the amount of gore. And I think this is one of the first times it's ever been released fully uncut. Yeah. So I think the kills alone are probably going to uh, are going to make it worth watching. Oh, I can't wait! I can't wait, um, Andy. I just want to, before we, we, we disappear, I just want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, I, do, I do this every time that you're on. I, I mentioned that the fact that me and you did a, a little show. It ran for 25 episodes called Doing the Nasty over on Horophilia. You can check out the entire back catalogue. We go through all 72 movies in the video nasties category the, from the original 72 list of movies we review them all three movies a week and you can check that whole back catalogue it's up there on Horophilia so you don't have to wait two weeks for every episode like everyone else did you can binge it yeah. uh, just like a binge TV shows um, yeah. so it's all there it's an entirety you have your own show that you do with your wife called The Big Horror and Little Podcast which is still Still kind of... On the world's longest hiatus. The world's longest hiatus. But you do have a back catalogue of about seven or eight episodes which are on Legion Podcast Network that people can check out. And maybe, I'm going to start this thing because I think what you actually need is you need like some sort of online petition to get you motivated. So <laughs> what I'm going st- to start doing is I'm going st- to I'm going to create a petition where people can vote for you coming back and we'll just see how it gathers steam and we'll get people all kind of creating a lot of noise that you eventually have to do it or yeah, feel like a dick for not doing it. I'm fucking back on Facebook now, aren't I? I yeah. Just, I caved in. Do you know the main reason I came back on Facebook? was because of the Hail Ming podcast. Oh yeah, they're, they're great. They're great guys. I just wanted to tell them how brilliant I thought their podcast was and the only way I could contact them was to go back onto Facebook. So I reactivated my account and then I just ended up freaking staying on it. But what I've done is just deleted like just loads of fucking just dickheads. Like people keep coming up in my feed, and I just unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. I do that. Yeah, I do which that. Is, I do a which lot. Which is now. great because like Facebook was just irritating the shit out of me, which is why I came off it before. Um, so now I'm kind of taking the time and effort to sort of tailor my Facebook to people that I want to follow and that, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a good incentive to come back because, I mean, the main reason I joined Facebook in the first, well, not, I didn't say joined, I had a Facebook account, but I literally didn't use it for years. And then the reason I initially came back was because of your show. Yeah. I kind of wanted to be involved in, you know, chatting to you and getting on your page and interacting with like, other horror fans and stuff. And Facebook is great for that. Um, and for me, like Facebook, that's probably one of the only fucking things it is good for. <laughs> it's just meeting like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know, like, if you're into horror and that sort of thing, you're probably not going to work with that many people that are into the same shit as you. Um, That's I don't worry any. Yeah, <laughs> There's no uh, one in my office that watches any horror movies. So. Yeah, so no, it's it's uh, yeah, it's great to be on the Facebook page. So I think the more I kind of interact with people and that, the, the more it will probably give me the kick up the arse to kind of uh, you know to do my own show and get back. Yeah, get yeah, bring it back. Saying should we should record, and I go yeah, I know, but I I have to do the editing. <laughs> And in fairness, Rachel said, well, teach me how to do it, and I'll happily do the editing, and so you don't have to do it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, you know, we will do it. So no, I'm, yeah. I think like, coming back on Facebook is probably the first step towards me, uh, you know, getting fucking playing my finger out and getting a show out. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll look forward to you coming back. Genuinely, I, I know I, I said it like at the time, but I think, like, like, I'm not like I'm not an old school podcaster, but my show has been on the go for two and a half years now, yeah. and to hear people that have come up listening to my show and other shows around the same time frame, that when you guys start your own show. I'm really excited because you all do things completely different from how I... Like, my format still, in a lot of respects, follows the format of shows that I first started listening to. And when I listen to, you know, um, shows like uh, um, Podcasts on Haunted Hill or um, The Hail Mind Power or Black Anis, and even yourselves, because uh, when you guys come out, I was super excited. It's just... It's a different spin on things, and you do things differently, and it makes it more entertaining. And there needs to be more of that out there. And you and Rachel had a great dynamic, anyway. Even though a lot of the movies you created, I couldn't disagree with more. Um, <laughs> that's the, that's that's the beauty is hearing why someone would defend a movie that I don't like, and hearing their point of view and going, "Well, I've never actually." It doesn't change my view of it, but I can see why you love that movie so much now because you've basically told me and that makes sense so yeah I, you, get, you need to come back and that's what this whole show has been about is a, a trick to get you to bring back your show <laughs> just, like, just like a food drive dude. <laughs> yeah um, just for compliments come on Andy get it back bring it back um, I dare say you'll be back on here sometime in the next couple of weeks anyway oh, um, yeah. <laughs> no, no doubt um, there is a multitude of ways to listen to this show you can check us out on iTunes um, if you are over there leave us some feedback on iTunes it costs you nothing and it is literally the best way to support this show the more ratings we get if they're five stars for example the more of them we get the higher up the ratings we get pushed in the charts the more likely people come across this show we are a proud member of legion podcast network you can go to that legionpodcast.com uh, alongside some fantastic podcasts new ones coming up all the time they're all fantastic you should go over there and support them and check them out as well you can check us out on stitcher smart radio and on soundcloud go across to our facebook page facebook.com forward slash grips forward slash cast you can go to our website which is tputtscast.com and you can even check us out on twitter baz is the admin so it's a bit mucky over there um, is at Teapot's cast um, and he will be back um, I believe next week for Baz v Horror and I can announce the film on here Baz next week will be tackling the film footage movie Creep from 2015 my choice for him something nice and easy to get him back into the swing of things because he's been a money bastard um, there is still time to put your vote down on what franchise Baz will be tackling in April. At the moment, it is so close. I think there's three votes between Halloween and Hellraiser. Um, Halloween is currently winning out. Hellraiser, three votes behind it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre has been sorely underloved, um, which is a shame because it's the one I would probably want to talk about the most. Uh, but it's the one that's not going to get there. I think it's only got like four votes or something, three votes uh, maybe. I don't really understand that because it's well, I suppose there's not really that many good sequels though, is there? And no, so the original's incredible, but after that, it really does sort of take yeah. off. Yeah, I, I said to Baz, I like the first two, and that's about it. <laughs> so, to me, the reason I vote for Halloween is because I think one and two are great. Um, three, even though it's not a Michael Myers film, the standalone movie's fucking brilliant. Um, I kind of realised yesterday, watching The Hitcher, that that's the only reason I like Halloween 4, is because it just <laughs> reminds me, <laughs> some bits remind me of Hitcher. 
Um, but I do love H2O and I really like the, um, the Rob Zombie ones as well, so that's the reason I've kind of doubted. So you, um, you, you do like a lot more than me, I like the first three. Yeah, so I can see why you're trying to sort of push <laughs> Because yeah, for me, the first four Hellraiser films are great, but then I think the reason I'm not keen on him doing the Hellraiser is just because from five onwards, it's, it's so bizarre and weird and fucking strange, but not in a good way. I just, I don't know, I, I don't remember there being anything redeeming in, in sort of five to nine. Yeah, I really like five, actually. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not a big fan of three at all. Um, so there's like four in that franchise that I like. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it lands. I think, in my heart of hearts, it finishes on Friday, so the Friday after the show getting released. Um, in my heart of hearts, I think it probably will be Halloween. And it'll just encourage me to open this Screen Factory Halloween box set that I've had since Christmas and done nothing with. So I will I will get around to watching them. So people should put their vote there. A quick reminder as well, our Instagram competition is still open. Um, you can win a horror block full of goodies, three t-shirts and loads of collectibles. And all you have to do is add us on Instagram, we're at TeaputsCast, and tag us in a picture of a movie poster that you want myself and Baz to cover like we did in The Loved Ones. It's as simple as that. Join Instagram, tag us, friend us, but tag us in this this picture of a horror movie poster that you want us to cover on an upcoming show, one we've not done before. And if you do that, you'll be entered into the competition. Uh, the competition closes at the end of this month. You get a box full of goodies. Very, very simple to do. Very low participation in this one. I don't know if it's because we're asking people to do three things instead of just like something. But um, uh, at the moment, you you would have a very good chance of winning because um, there's not that many people applied. So show some love over there. Uh, Andy. My good friend, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? So your listeners, probably see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Duncan broadcasting live from under the stairs. Bye, everyone.